A bada bing bada bam. Welcome to this week's Bacon and Murder, Bacon and Mystery episode. And I'm so excited because I feel like after Thanksgiving, after Black Friday, after Cyber Monday, this is what you need. A good old murder mystery. Because kudos to you for not killing anyone on Thanksgiving. Well, we don't know for sure. The evidence is still up for debate. So today's BAM is actually based on a book that went insanely viral. I think even on Goodreads, it has like half a million reviews, which is absolutely bonkers. It's a book called A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. Good girl. (laughs) (laughs) Baby girl's guide to murder. It's the first of her trilogy of The Good Girl's Guide to Murder, and the third one just released in 2021. So I literally can't wait to read the rest of the two books. I was worried. I'm gonna be honest with you. This is my second YA thriller BAM that I'm doing. The first one was One of Us is Lying, and I was worried about that one too. I was worried about this one too because you guys know all I do, mysteries, thrillers, crime. And I was like, ooh, but it's YA. Maybe it's gonna feel, maybe it's gonna feel really childish, and maybe it's gonna feel like there's no plot twist. Was good. There was plot twist. I, I mean, I couldn't even freaking put it down. I devoured this entire thing on the plane and immediately got home to download the next two on my Audible, which I'm not doing bams on those, so please go read the first book and read the trilogy with me. I think I found one of my new favorite authors. I can't wait. So seriously, with that being said, let's get into the story. And we're also making... um. Pine cones, edible pine cones. I don't know how I feel about this recipe. My fiance found this recipe and every recipe he's been finding recently has been suspiciously unsweet. It has not been a dessert. It's just been not sweet at all. So let's start with a band. Let's start with this school. It's called Fairview High School and you guessed it. (laughs) It's in a mother small town, okay? So every senior at Fairview High School is required to do a capstone project before they graduate. And you're like, what the hell is a capstone project? You get to choose what your project is going to be on. And it's almost like a senior thesis for high schoolers. You know how you have a thesis in college in order to graduate? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing for high school. And Pippa Fitz and Moby, our main girl. I love her. What's she, her name? P- Pippa. Pippa. Yeah. Pippa, but they call her Pip. So Pippa, she decides she's going to cover the 2014 missing persons investigation of Andy Bell in their small town of Fairview. Literally, the girl went missing in their small town, and that's what she's going to do her senior thesis on. Mm. Now, to be fair, if she just told her teachers, hey, I'm going to do my thesis on a, a missing classmate of ours, no one would have said yes. But she said, no, no, no. The objective of my project is to find out how... You know, the media, the press, how they became key players in police investigations and the implications of that. When the press all decided that someone was guilty before they were even declared guilty. You know, it's it's about journalism. It's about investigative journalism. So you're like, wait, what? She went missing, but someone was declared guilty? How does that make sense? Basically, a classmate of theirs, so they're all like five years older than... um. Pip. They're like five grades ahead, but Pip knew about them. Everybody in the town knew about them. All the people in that grade would have already graduated, gone on to college. And basically, Sal Singh was accused of murdering his then-girlfriend, Andy Bell. And the press just ran with it. And then Sal suspiciously died in the woods before there even was a trial. What? And it was supposed to be just a deep dive into journalism. But really, really, what Pippa wanted to do was she wanted to solve the murder. Her teacher gave her some guidelines, some ethical lines that should never be crossed. Number one, no contact should be made with either of the families involved because that would be an ethical violation. So Pip, she's like, of course, I agree. 
But tell me how the very next day she finds herself in front of the house. Everybody knows. If you say it's the house, they're gonna know what you're talking about. Everybody knew the house. Everyone in town either ran past it, or they would whisper while they walked past, or they would do a quick glance as they drove past. It was almost as if they were scared that the house had hands that were gonna reach out and snatch them up as you strolled by. Kids would scream bloody murder while they ran past, not caring that there's a whole ass family inside listening to them screaming. Some kids would dare each other to go to the front gate and touch it. Like a dare, as if just by touching it, you would be cursed or doomed or haunted. Pip and a lot of others were confused why they never moved. Not because they should move. At least Pip didn't think so. They have every right to stay in this town, but their lives probably would be a lot easier if they moved. But they chose to stay. And now Pip is nervously sweating on their front door. I mean, she knew that this could possibly be the very worst idea of her entire life, but she had to do it. She had to. So she held her breath. Knock, knock. And the door swung open and Pip had to stop herself because she had to keep blinking. I mean, he just looked like Sal, so much like Sal. The Sal that Pip had saw on all those TV shows, all those news segments, all those newspapers. When Andy first disappeared, Sal's picture was everywhere. But Pip knew this wasn't Sal because Sal was dead in the woods. This was his younger brother, Ravi. But he had his brother's messy hair, his thick eyebrows, that oaken-hued skin and it was just eerie. And Ravi mm. goes, hello? Oh, um, hi. <laughs> Sorry, you don't know me, but I'm Pip. I'm Pippa Fitzamobi. I was just a few years below you before you left school. And I, I, I was wondering if I could borrow a few seconds of your time. Okay, well, maybe not a few seconds. Maybe a few, like, uh, sequential seconds. If you have minutes, <laughs> if you have minutes. Can I ask you a few questions? Pip wanted to bite her tongue. This always happens. She rambles when she's nervous, okay? And Ravi looks freaking confused, slash annoyed, slash amused. <sighs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I meant that I'm doing a senior project at school and I was wondering if you'd like to be interviewed for mine, okay? What is it about? It's about what happened five years ago. At first, it seemed like Ravi looked angry, but he was willing to listen. Why are you doing that? Because I don't think your brother did it. And I'm gonna try and prove it. So the book switches from her in real time investigating and talking to everyone in this small town and then her writing in her journal about this capstone project. So it's less of a journal, but it's more of like a, a project journal where she's doing updates, she's writing her findings, she's really trying to be like a little journalist, right? So capstone project log. Entry number one. Pip says, I'm hoping my capstone project will not be the topic that I proposed to Mrs. Morgan. I'm hoping it'll be the truth. What really happened to Andy Bell on April 18th, 2014? And if my instincts are right, they tell me that Sal Singh is not guilty. But then who killed her? I don't think I'll actually solve the case, you know, and figure out who murdered Andy. I'm not delusional, but I'm hoping to find reasonable doubt that Sal is not guilty and suggest that the police were mistaken to close the case so early without even digging further. So here are the facts surrounding Andy's disappearance. Andy Bell was 17 when she was reported missing. She was reported to be five feet, six inches tall, long blonde hair, blue eyes. She was wearing a blue crop sweater and dark blue jeans the night that she went missing. So here are the last people that saw her alive. She left home in her car with her phone, but she didn't pack a bag or anything, indicating she wasn't trying to run away. She didn't pack cash, none of that. The police said her disappearance was completely out of character. So pretty quickly, they jump into action, searching the woods near her house. The last person to see her alive was her little sister, Becca Bell. 
and that was around 10.30 p.m. CCTV shows Andy was driving away from the family home at 10.40 p.m. and then nothing. Nothing. According to her parents, she was supposed to pick them up from a dinner party at around 1 a.m., but she never showed up. And she was officially reported missing that night at 3 a.m. So nobody knows what happened to Andy Bell between 10.40 p.m. and 12.45 a.m. But something did happen because she was never seen again. Her body was never found. Most people are convinced and they've just accepted that she's dead. And you're like, why? Her body hasn't even been found. Because of Salsing, that's why. Pip actually had the almost perfect family, which is very, um, kind of like a YA thing, I realize, and I don't know if it's the fact that no teenagers have the perfect family, so you just want to read about people who do, or maybe it's aspirational, you're like, yeah, one day I'm gonna have the perfect family, but I remember as a teenager it made me feel freaking pretty when I would read these, okay? And then now you read these adult thriller books and nobody has a perfect family. But did you feel like yeah. other people have a better family, though? Yeah. Like, you always feel like people have yes. a better family, right? And then what's so funny is I grew up and I was like, okay, yeah. my family's pretty good. And then once you get to know them, yeah. everybody's having so much trouble. Yeah, and now I'm like, I don't know. I feel like my family's the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so Pip actually almost had the perfect family. Literally, her life seemed perfect. Her whole family was wholesome. They raised her well. They taught her to never judge people by their covers. Her stepdad aka her dad, since he raised her since she was practically four years old, is named Victor, and he's this tall Nigerian man. And Josh was her little brother, half-brother. And everyone's always like, is that your brother? Because they look nothing alike. But those are all just technicalities with Pip. It, it, she didn't like those technicalities. This was her family. Victor was her dad, and Josh is her annoying little brother. Her, quote, real dad died in a car accident when she was just 10 months old, so she doesn't really remember him. Most parents would have been worried that Pip chose a project like this for her senior capstone project, but um, no, not her parents. They weren't even worried. A lot of parents would be like, what would people think if they see you hanging out with a murderer's brother? But not Pip's parents. They are like the only rational adults in this whole town. They were the only ones not quietly judging Ravi for something they think his brother did, just shunning him in public, giving him looks of fear and disgust. Not Pip's family. In fact, Victor told Josh to think about it because Josh was like, I heard he's scary. And Victor told his little son, Josh, what if everyone judged you because of something your sister did? And Josh said, well, all she ever does is homework. <laughs> so she's like a boring goody two-shoes is the vibe, right? And Ravi's gonna come and shake it up. That's the vibe, okay? Like this girl wants to go into Columbia University early apps. Like it's a whole thing. And the family went back to, you know, chasing their golden retriever after these very serious conversations. Yeah, they have a golden retriever named Barney. Look, the whole family is literally so perfect and wholesome. All they did was laugh and goof around with each other. They've got like nightly dinners, no phones on the table. It's all wholesome. That sounds suspicious though. But Pip cannot help but wonder. When was the last time the Bells or the Sings laughed? Bells what? The Bell family. Andy Bell oh, and oh, Sal oh. Singh's family. When was the last time they laughed? Maybe laughter is one of the first things you lose after something like that. Capstone Project Log number two. Let's talk Sal. The police talked to Sal and whatever he said or did made them think that he was insanely guilty. Because Sal claimed that night he had been hanging out at his friend's Max Hastings house. He was with his four best friends, Naomi Ward, Jake Lawrence, Millie Simpson, and Max Hastings. You really only need to remember Max Hastings and Naomi Ward. 
Now, the police were able to confirm the alibi, and they went into looking for Andy, putting up these missing persons posters, and hundreds of volunteers are helping the police carry out searches in the local woods. Forensic teams are deployed to the residents, and on the Tuesday, everything changed. She went missing on a Friday, and on Tuesday, the world f***ing imploded. Because mm-hmm. Naomi Ward and Max Hastings, as, as well as the two mm-hmm. other friends, they called the police and confessed that they lied. What? They said that Sal asked them to lie about being with them that night, <gasps> that Andy went missing. They said Sal actually left Max's house at 10.30 p.m. and not 12.15 a.m. like he claimed. That's when Sal became the number one suspect. The police searched everywhere for him. But he wasn't at school. He wasn't home. Nobody could find him. He wasn't answering his phone. The only person he would respond to was his dad, but even then, his text messages were very cryptic. And by that night, Sal's body was found dead in the woods. He had killed himself. The police never released how, but in this small town, everyone knew. He walked into the woods, took a huge dose of his dad's sleeping pills, placed a plastic bag over his head, secured it with an elastic band around his neck, and suffocated until he died. What? That's so bizarre. And soon after, oh, and here's the thing, the pieces of evidence they found against Sal, Andy's phone was in his pocket, and specks of Andy's dried blood was under his fingernails. She was missing Friday. He still had blood under his fingernails on Tuesday. And soon after, the day after, to be exact, Andy's car was found parked in a small residential road called Monroe Road. And finally, a press conference was held where the police named Sal a person of interest, and they said, We have strong reason to suspect Sal Singh was involved in Andy's abduction and murder. The evidence would have been sufficient to arrest and charge him had he not died before proceedings could be initiated. Police are not looking for anyone else in relation to Andy's disappearance at this time. Our thoughts go out to the Bell family, our deepest sympathies for the devastation this update has caused them. So you're like, what evidence did they have against Sal other than the freaking phone and the traces of blood under his fingernails? Well, Andy's blood was also discovered in the trunk of her abandoned car. Sal's fingerprints were found around the dashboard and steering wheel, alongside prints from Andy and the rest of the Bell family. So the police said this alone would have been enough to charge Sal with murder, but since he was already dead, there was no trial, no conviction. But you know what that means. Also, no defense. Andy's body was never found, and later that year, they closed the case, and 18 months later, a court order was filed, and Andy Bell was declared dead in absentia. So meaning she's dead, but they haven't found her. She was legally declared dead. It was suspicious, you know? It was suspicious, sure. But everyone in the town was a thousand percent convinced Sal had done it, even without a jury, without a trial, no defense. There was no allegedly or might have or most likely. They just all assumed and they said, oh yeah, Sal killed Andy. But Pip had never been so sure. Pip knew there was a lot at stake with this project of hers, but she also knew one of her best friends, Lauren, needed her. That's too big, way too big, honey, Why? way too big. It's so mushy. Now you stick it on, like, oh. like a freaking <laughs> This uh, is gonna call. be so tedious. No big deal. How I'm gonna tell a story while I do this is rocket science to me. So anyway, Lauren needed her. Lauren is her best friend. It was a goddamn emergency. Pip knew what that meant. She drove to the store, picked up some chocolate, and drove back home. When she pulled up, she saw Kara, the other best friend. Pip, Lauren, and Kara are like the three musketeers. They're the best friends. Anyway, Carl pulled up with some chocolate too. They both knew this was the best way to mend a broken heart. 
They said hello to Lauren's mom, zipped upstairs to find Lauren hiding under her blankets in her bed. And she heard her girls come in and she screamed, he did it by text. Well, boys are dicks. You can do so much better anyway. Yeah, besides, he didn't even know how to pronounce specifically. He said specifically. It was weird. Yeah, massive red flag, Lauren. You dodged a bullet. We think you're specifically better off without him. Lauren got up from under her covers, grabbed a piece of chocolate, shoved it in her mouth, and gave a little snort before crying again. She thanked them for coming, even though she'd been such a friend, you know? Because when you get boyfriends, you let go of your friends, and all you do is you hang out with your boyfriend, and now, now she feels left out, and she feels like Kara and freaking Pip are gonna be best friends, and she's like the third wheel, all for a stupid boy! Fuck Tom! Tom who just broke up with her over text message! So a little bit about Pip's friend group. It was six people, three girls, Pip, Lauren, and Kara, and three guys that they always hung out with. Out of all of them, Pip and Kara were the closest. They had been inseparable ever since they were six years old. Pip was friendless, scared of her own shadow, and Kara came up to her one day and was like, do you like bunnies? And the rest is mother freaking history. They were best friends ever since. Pip even helped Kara when her mom was diagnosed with cancer and soon passed away. Pip had been her constant through all of it. Kara felt more like a sister than a best friend. And by extension, Kara's family felt super close to her, like her second family. Her dad was her second dad, Mr. Ward. He was also the history teacher at the school. She even got her her own slippers and mugs for their house. Oh. And Kara's older sister was Naomi Ward. Remember her? Sal's best friend? Yes. Yeah, well, one of them. Oh, she's the one that changed her confession. Which reminds Pip. Hey, Kara, do you mind telling your sister that I'm going to be stopping by next week to interview her about the project? Yeah, sure, she'll totally agree, but can you just take it easy on her? She gets really upset about it sometimes still. I mean, he was one of her best friends. Actually, probably her best friend. Yeah, of course. Uh, wh what do you think I'm gonna do? Pin her down and beat the responses out of her? I don't know. Is that what you're gonna do to Ravi tomorrow? No way. You're going to Ravi's house tomorrow? Wait, why didn't you tell me this? I mean, I get it. I was heartbroken over Tom, but like, <gasps> what? what? What are people gonna think if they see you going to his house? I don't know. I guess it doesn't really matter to me. Capstone Project Log Number Three. I'm biased. I know I'm biased. I want Sal Singh to be innocent for reasons that I've carried since I was just 12 years old. And the inconsistencies have been nagging at me and I just, I don't want confirmation bias in this project. So in order to do that, I will interview someone who is absolutely, utterly certain of Sal's guilt. Stanley Forbes, a journalist at Fairview Mail. Not a very good journalist if you have to ask me, okay? He wrote article after article about Sal and he's a journalist. Pretty sure the Singh family could sue him a thousand times over for libel, slander, defamation, but they never did. So Pip had a phone interview scheduled with him and she asked him a ton of questions, but the ones that stood out to me were, Stanley said that the cops believed Sal murdered Andy in one location, put her body in the trunk of her car, buried her in a separate location, and then disposed of her car. In addition, the police believed that Andy was a victim of a sexually motivated murder. The police believe that Andy left her home in her car. Sal started work walking home. They met up in Andy's car, drove to a secluded location where Andy was murdered. And then he ditched her car, disposed of her body, and then walked all the way home. Sal died in the end on Tuesday because he couldn't live with the guilt. It drove him to commit suicide. And another thing is Stanley is just this huge asshole, like a big asshole. Pip straight up asked him why he never says allegedly or any of that in his articles. And he just said, I just call it how it is. 
You need to relax. He's dead. Why does it matter if people call him a murderer if it can't hurt him? Wow. Because his family is not dead? Look, this is a waste of my time. You think he's innocent? Against the expertise of senior police officers? Look, maybe if he hadn't offed himself before getting arrested, we would have been able to fill in the fucking gaps. Well, that's insensitive. Well, it was insensitive for him to kill his girlfriend. Allegedly. Look, you want more proof, you strange fangirl? Okay, we weren't allowed to print it, but my source in the police said that they found a death threat note in Andy's locker. He threatened her, and then he did it. It was premeditated. You really still think he's innocent? The two things that Pip learned from this interview was first, the police believe Andy was killed in a separate location and then, you know, buried in a different one. Second, the death threat. This is the first time she was hearing of any sort of death threat. Maybe the police didn't think it was relevant, maybe they thought it was confidential, privileged information, or maybe they couldn't prove it was linked to Sal, so they never released it. Or maybe Stanley made it up. In any case, Pip would keep this all in mind. You know those TikToks that are like, excuse me, excuse me, ma'am, what are you listening to today? And they start playing that song while the person walks away. Super cool. So imagine me in the streets of New York City and I take off my earbuds and I'm like, oh, what am I listening to? Good Girl's Guide to Murder. And you better believe I listened to the audible version of this and the narration was so engaging. I love that each character had a different voice actor. It was so immersive. Really? I felt like I could just picture everything in my head and I was, I was listening on the plane. I was listening while I was doing dishes. Literally through TSA, I did not want to take off my earbuds because I was like, oh my God, I'm in like a really good chapter right now and I had to put them into the bin. And I freaking love talking about Audible. And I will never get tired of talking about them because it's genuinely an app that I use every single day. More so now with all the holiday traveling or like during my hot girl walks in New York because there is just so much on there. Anything you're looking for, any random intriguing topic, it's all on Audible. I love how fun it is to discover new things. Audible is like the best place to listen to whatever you're interested in. You could be interested in best-selling audiobooks in every genre, exclusive Audible originals, popular podcasts, or more, and it's all in one place. You guys always say you love my storytelling, which like, thank you, you're making me blush. But Audible is like the home of storytelling with all of your audio entertainment in one app. They've got such an amazing selection of audiobooks across all the genres. Like they've got so many mysteries, thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, whatever you're looking for, whatever itch you're trying to scratch, they got it. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. So I'm talking like the latest bestsellers, the, the books that just went viral on BookTok, new releases, and as a member, this this is my favorite part. You get that, but you also get full access to a growing selection of included audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts. You can download or stream their included titles all you want, and this month I'm using my credit to get Good Girl Bad Blood, the second to this trilogy, and I'm so excited. Also The Last Mrs. Parish because Anna Paul posted it on her story. Oh, and Verity. You guys have been recommending Verity, so I highly recommend that you listen with me because I had a goal this year to get through a ton of audiobooks and Audible makes it so easy. And new Audible members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Let Audible help you discover new ways to laugh, be inspired, or be entertained. New Audible members can try Audible for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash bam or text bam to 500-500. That's audible.com slash bam or text bam to 500-500. And thank you Audible for sponsoring today's episode. And when Friday came around, the day to interview Ravi, of course, Pip was beyond nervous. Ravi was actually surprised that Pip even showed up. I mean, yeah, they agreed to talk on Friday, but he felt like maybe she was just messing around with him. 
And she's like, I'm not messing around, I promise. I'm serious. Yeah, I mean, you seem like the serious type. Irrationally serious. And here, I, I made muffins. What are these, like bribery muffins? Yeah, that's what the recipe said, bribery muffins. Can I come in? Ravi let her slip in through the door. Your parents aren't here? Nope. And if they were, you wouldn't be. We try not to talk about Sal too much. It upsets mom still. Um, it's upset, it's upsets everyone, actually. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I'm so sorry. It's not just that he's gone, you know? It's that we're not allowed to grieve for him because of what happened. If I say I miss my brother, it makes me some kind of monster. I don't think it does. Well, I'm guessing that you and I are the minority here. So, what kind of questions do you want to ask? Pip asked if she could record the conversation, which she does with every single conversation that's regarded in this project. She was savvy like that, just a journalist in the making. Then we get to read Capstone Project Log Entry 4, which is the interview with Ravi Singh. Ravi just stated that he just turned 20. Sal was three years older than Ravi, so he would have been 23 if he were, you know, um, still alive. Pip asked if Sal had been acting strangely the day that Andy went missing. Oh, wow. Um, straight into it. Uh, no, not at all. Like, we had dinner at 7, my dad dropped him off at Max's, and he was, he was normal Sal. If he was planning a murder, it wasn't obvious at all to us. He was upbeat, happy, normal. Well, what about when he got back from Max's? I don't know. My dad was awake. I had already gone to bed. But the next morning, I remember him being in a really good mood. Sal was always a morning person. So he got up, made breakfast for everyone, and it wasn't until he got a call from Andy's friends that he found out that she was missing. And obviously, he wasn't in a good mood anymore. Had your brother and Andy been together long? Uh, since probably just before Christmas that year, so maybe like four months. What else happened that day? Well, we went out looking for Andy, and Sal literally sat by his phone just calling her every few minutes, constantly went to voicemail. Each time it went to voicemail, I just, I saw his face drop. But he figured if she was going to pick up for anyone, it was going to be for him. So Sal was just calling Andy's phone. Yeah, like a million times throughout the weekend, and on Monday too. Doesn't that kind of sound strange to you? I mean, if you murdered someone and you knew that they would never pick up, Especially if he had her phone hidden somewhere in him or in the room, like the police suggest. Ravi's finishing her sentences. So they're saying, yeah, it's normal to call a couple of times, even if you murder that person and you kept their phone, but a million times? He was just calling non-stop. So throughout the transcript, Ravi did mention an interesting point. He said that Sal mentioned that Andy might have run off to punish someone. Well, who would Andy want to punish? Sal? I don't know. I didn't push it. I didn't know her well. She only came around a handful of times, and I assumed that someone was maybe Andy's dad. Jason Bell? Why would, why would she want to punish her dad? I don't know. I just, I heard some stuff, you know, when she was over. I figured she didn't have the best relationship with her dad. I don't remember anything specifically, though. And what was their relationship like? I'm his brother, I didn't see that much, but I mean, he liked her a lot. He was very happy that she was the prettiest, most popular girl in school. Um, but Andy seemed to really bring the drama everywhere she went, you know? What kind? I don't know, she was just, she was just one of those people that thrived on it, you know? Anyway, the police interviewed him the day after she went missing and he seemed nervous, but not in like a bad way. They were just tense, recording everything and asking him who he was with, where he was, asking a ton of questions. And what happened after the police interviewed him? His friends came by to check if he was okay. And that's when he asked his friends to lie to the police and give him an alibi? Yeah, I guess. Why do you think he did that? 
I don't know, maybe he panicked after the police talked to him. Maybe he was scared he would be a suspect. He tried to cover himself. I don't know. Presuming Sal's innocence, do you have any idea where he could have been between leaving Max's house at 10.30 and getting home at 12.50? No. He told us he started walking home at 12.15, so I guess maybe he was alone somewhere. Which looks bad, doesn't it? They talked about how all weekend Sal was out looking for Andy, and then Tuesday, Sal and I uh, walked into school together, and I left him in the parking lot. He said he wanted to sit outside for a minute before he walked back in. It had just been rough, and everyone at school had been weird. That's the last time I ever saw him. All I said was, see you later. I knew the police were at school. Rumor was they were talking to Sal's friends. And it wasn't until like two-ish my mom started calling me that the police wanted to talk to Sal and my mom was asking where he was and my dad showed me the last text he ever got from Sal. Do you remember what it said, the text? Yeah, it said, it was me. I did it. I'm so sorry. What? And it was later that evening when the police came back, my parents went to answer the door and I stayed in listening and they said they, said they found a body in the woods. I was so sure for a second that it was Andy. And the sleeping pills? They were dad's. Dad was taking them for insomnia and he blamed himself for it afterwards for so long. He doesn't take anything anymore for insomnia, so he barely sleeps much. Have you ever thought Sal could be suicidal? No. He was the happiest person there was. I mean, always laughing, lighting up the room. I know it's cheesy, but he was a straight-A student. Best big brother anyone could have, my parents' golden child. And now, now they're just left with me. Okay, that's all for now. Pip, you don't believe Sal did it. But why do you want to prove it? No one else in this town has trouble believing my brother was a monster. They all moved on. My best friend Kara is Naomi Ward's sister. Oh, Naomi. Yeah, she was always over here. She was like a thousand percent in love with Sal. Really? Yeah, I always thought so. I mean, the way she laughed at all his jokes, they weren't even that funny. I don't think he ever felt the same way back, though. So you're doing this for Naomi? I still don't get it. No, it's not that I'm doing it for Naomi. It's, I knew Sal. I mean, I didn't know him like that, but he, he was over at Naomi's house a lot, and I was over there because of Kara all the time. And ever since I was young, I knew him. He taught me how to flip pancakes for the first time. When I was being bullied by these boys in seventh grade, he told me exactly what to say to get them to lay off. And I don't know, I guess ever since then, I just, I just can't believe he did it. It's the young love. It's that young love, bits. It's that young love. Capstone Project Log Entry 5. After that interview, Pip was intrigued by Jason Bell, you know? Because why would she want to punish her own dad by pretending to run away? That doesn't even make sense. So Jason and Don Bell are Andy's parents, and they got divorced almost immediately after Andy's death certificate was issued. Jason moved to a neighboring town and started posting pictures with his new wife, who was this young blonde woman who looked suspiciously too young for him, you know? It appears they are married now. And Pip started watching old YouTube videos of the older press conferences, and she can't believe she didn't see it then. Jason is weird. He's just off. He's squeezing his wife's arm just a little too hard. He shifts his shoulder back so that he can push her back from the mic when he thinks that she's said enough. The, the voice breaks that sound a little forced when he says, Andy, we love you so much. Please come home. It's just weird. And the way that Becca, the other Bell daughter, just shrinks under his gaze, it made Pips run cold. And he also said, we just want our girl back. 
We're completely broken and we don't know what to do with ourselves. If you know where she is, please tell her to come home so we know she's safe. Andy was such a huge presence in our home and it's too quiet without her. Was. Past tense. This was before any of the South stuff happened. Everyone thought Andy was still alive at this point, but maybe Jason Bell didn't. Was? Was that an innocent mistake or did he already know that his daughter was dead? Pip decided now would be a good time to start a person of interest list, and Jason Bell was the first name on that list. Now, it was time to interview Naomi Ward, her best friend's older sister, Sal's best friend. Pip had never seen her like this. Naomi was nervous, anxious, upset, emotional. Naomi had always been a bit fragile, though. Their mom passed away from cancer, and then her best friend Sal died. So they tried to move on, but Naomi couldn't do it. She tried to move to New York City and get a big girl job, but ended up moving back home after a panic attack. And now she was just trying to make it day by day. So, um, Naomi, can you tell me what you're doing all night at Max's that night? Yeah, uh, well, we were drinking, talking, playing some Xbox, nothing too exciting. And taking pictures. There's a few on Facebook from that night. Yeah, just messing around. There's no picture of Sal from that night. No, well, I guess we started taking pictures after he left. Was he acting strangely before he left? No, I don't think he was, really. Did he talk about Andy at all? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Well, what were they saying? Well, they were having a bit of a disagreement and he wasn't gonna talk to her for a while, I think. Why? I don't remember specifically, but Andy was kind of a nightmare. She was, already, she was always trying to pick fights with Sal over the smallest things. Sal preferred to just give her the silent treatment rather than argue. What did they fight about? Stupidest things, like him not texting her back fast enough, but she, I, I always thought that she was bad news. And what time did you leave Max's? I didn't. Millie and I stayed over in the spare room. Dad came and got me in the morning. Okay, can you tell me about when Sal asked you to lie to the police about what time that he left Max's? Naomi started to have tears pull in her eyes, and at this point she was just trying to talk, but no words were coming out. Um, we went over on Saturday evening to see what he was doing and how he was doing and we were talking about what happened and Sal was nervous because the police were questioning him. He felt like he was going to be a target. So he asked if we would just mind just saying that he left. Max is a little bit later than when he did. So the police could just move on and they could actually find out what happened to Andy and it didn't seem wrong to me at the time. I just thought it made sense and it would help get Andy home quicker. So I thought, why not? Where did he tell you he was between 10.30 and 12.50? I don't remember. I don't even know if he told me. You didn't ask? You didn't want to know? I can't really remember. I'm sorry. Why did you four change your mind about telling the police on Tuesday about Sal's fake alibi? I think because we had some time to think about it. And we knew that we would get in trouble for lying. And none of us thought that Sal was involved with what happened. So we didn't see the problem in just telling the truth. So you guys talked about talking to the police? Yeah, we all called each other the night before on Monday night. And we agreed. But you didn't tell Sal that you were going to the police. No, we didn't want him to be mad at us. Oh, and one more thing. Are Max, Jack, and Millie around to be interviewed? Oh, Millie's off the grid traveling in Europe. Jake's in Detroit now with his girlfriend. I think they just had a baby. And Max is here, but um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, you can have his number. I can give it to you and you can ask if he wants to be interviewed. So the interview ended with Mr. Ward walking into the house and offering to make coffee for the girls. Capstone Project Log Entry 7. Pip just got back from Max Hastings' house and it felt strange being there. It was like walking through some sort of crime scene. 
Pip could see where all the Facebook photos were taken. I mean, the house is beautiful. Max was quite rich and somewhat pretentious. The full transcript is in the book, but we'll start with the important questions. All right, Max, how did Sal and Andy start dating? Uh, they just got drunk and hooked up at a party at Christmas. And I guess it just carried on from there. Was it one of those crazy house parties? What, what did you call them, like calamities or something? Yeah, that's where they met. But I, I didn't really know Andy. We weren't ever like friends friends. I just kind of saw her around at these parties. So that Friday, when everyone was at your house, did Sal act strange? Not really, maybe just a bit quiet. I was too drunk to really notice anything. And did Sal talk about Andy that night? No, he didn't mention her once. I was busy playing Jake and Millie on Call of Duty because I remember Millie was like, equality, equality, and then she kept losing. <laughs> equality, my ass. And then, yeah, I don't really remember much. Great guy. And you were playing games with him after Sal left. Yeah, he left pretty early. And where was Naomi when you were playing games? Oh, she was MIA. Missing? What? She wasn't here? Uh, no, I think she went upstairs for a while, I think. By herself? To do what? I don't know, take a nap, take a dump, fuck knows. For how long? I don't remember. Okay, and when Sal left, what did he say? He didn't really say, he just slipped out quietly. I didn't really notice him leave. And how did he ask you all to give him an alibi? He just came out and asked, said it was looking bad for him and asked if we could just help him out and change the times a bit. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't he was like, hey guys, can you give me an alibi? That's not how it went, it was just a favor for a friend. And do you think Sal killed out Andy? He had to, right? The only way Sal would ever kill himself, I think, is if he had done something really bad. Pip was done with the interview, but she had more questions than ever. There were inconsistencies between what Naomi and Max said. Naomi thinks Sal did talk about Andy. Max said Sal never talked about Andy. Naomi said Sal said he was leaving because he wasn't feeling it. Max said Sal slipped out quietly. I mean, I get it. The night in question was over five years ago. Lapses in memory are to be expected. But the thing is, Max said that Naomi was MIA. Did he just accidentally let it slip that she also left the house for a period of time that night? I mean, there's no way, though. Pip can't help but feel like Naomi had something to do with it, had something to do with Andy's disappearance. She liked Sal, hated Andy. Maybe that was a motive. But I mean, for most of her life, she had spent it looking up to Naomi, Naomi as an older sister. She's the type to give you an encouraging smile when you're in the middle of a conversation and everybody else has stopped listening, but she'll keep listening to you. She's so delicate and calm, but maybe she's also unstable. Is instability enough to incite violence? And then there's what Ravi said about Naomi being in love with Sal. I mean, that's a pretty clear motive, right? And Naomi's interview was tense. So much more tense than Max's. Is that suspicious on Naomi? Or is that suspicious on Max? Because maybe his interview was too easy, too chill. What if Naomi killed Andy in a jealous rage and Sal stumbled across the scene distraught? His best friend kills his girlfriend, but what's done is done. He still cares for his best friend, so he helps her dispose of Andy's body and they agree never to talk about it again. But maybe it's too much for Sal and he ends up taking his life through the guilt. He can't turn himself in because that means Naomi would get arrested as well, but he can't live with himself. Either way, Naomi is going on the list under Jason Bell as a person of interest. There are moments throughout the book where Pip realizes just how evil people in this town can be. For one, Ravi really wanted to be an attorney and his grades ended up dropping after Sal died. The bullying was just too intense. Pip remembered his locker was painted in red dripping letters and it said, like brother, like brother. There was another time eight upperclassmen pinned him down and upturned four full trash cans over his face. 
for reasons she'll personally never understand. For example, at the grocery store recently, they ran into, Pip was with her mom and they ran into Ravi. And, um, you know, Ravi normally goes out of town to do grocery shopping because of this very reason, but he ran out of milk. He had a milk emergency and he was checking out. Pip was behind him and she sees the old grumpy cashier take one look at him, visibly look disgusted, and she refused to acknowledge his presence. And when he tried to hand his cash over, the cashier withdrew her hand and the cash fell to the floor. What in the... Pip was pissed. She marched over. Excuse me? Your name tag says Leslie. Leslie, I said, do we have a problem? Yeah. I don't want him touching me. Why? Are you contagious or something? <sighs> I'm going to call the manager. Yeah, you do that. I'll deliver my complaint in person. And with that, Ravi shook his head, put the money back on the counter, and walked out with the milk without getting his change back. Pip ran after him. Hey, are you okay? No. Did I do something wrong? Look, I don't need some kid I hardly know fighting my battles for me. I'm not your problem, Pippa. Don't try to make me your problem. You're only going to make things worse. And he walked off. Pip's anger in her stomach at the cashier was suddenly replaced by this just empty feeling. It was like a hollow feeling in her gut. She was just trying to help. She went to the ward house to cool off with her best friend, Kara. And well, capstone project log entry eight. Pip had an opportunity and she took it, okay? Don't tell her that she's not an opportunist. Mr. Ward walked in and Pip thought, you know what? Maybe the teacher knows some shit. So he agreed to sit down and they had a little bit of an interview. She recorded it. Remember, he's a history teacher and he actually taught Sal. He was close with Sal and taught Andy at one point. So did Sal take all APs for history? Oh, not only that, but Sal was hoping to study history at Yale. I don't know if you remember, but I was a professor at Yale. And, um, well, before, before Kara's mom got sick, I started working less at the high school instead so I could take care of her. But anyway, fall semester of the year before everything happened, I spent a lot of time with Sal, helped him with his essays. He got accepted into Yale, and I was so proud of him. Such a bright kid. So he was really smart. Yeah, absolutely. Very smart young man. It's a tragedy what happened in the end. Such a waste of two young lives. Sal would have gone to do great things, I'm sure. Did you have a class with Sal on that Monday after Andy disappeared? Uh, I, I think so, actually, yes, because I remember talking to him, asking him if he was okay. Was he acting strangely? Well, it depends. You know, the whole school was acting strangely. A student went missing, and it was all over the news. He was very worried. Worried for Andy? Yeah. What about Tuesday, the day he killed himself? Do you remember seeing him at school that morning? No, um, I had the bug and I called in sick. I dropped off the girls that day, spent the day at home, and I didn't know until the school called me. So the last time I saw him was Monday during class. And you think he did it? He killed her? <sighs> I mean, I can understand how it's easy to convince yourself that he didn't. But considering the evidence, I guess he must have. It feels wrong to even think that, but there's no other explanation. And what about Andy? Did you teach her too? Yes, she was in the same class as Sal sophomore year, so yeah, I had her, but she didn't have any of my classes after that, so I'm afraid I don't really know her that well. Okay, thanks. You can go back to peeling potatoes now. <laughs> and with that, Pip was more confused than ever. Nobody talked about the fact that Sal got into Yale, which is interesting because would someone like that have been so dumb to not even come up with a good alibi? I mean, he was clever enough to get away with it had he really done it. Side note, Pip played Monopoly with the wards that night, and she probably was wrong about Naomi having something to do with the murder. Pip had more killer instincts than her. This girl was a little weakling. 
The next day, Ravi shows up to Pip's door, and Barney the Golden Retriever is sticking his nose up into Ra Ravi's butt crack. Oh, hi. How did you know where I lived? I asked the real estate office your mom works at. Oh, um, what brings you here? I wanted to say that I'm sorry. I got angry and said some things that I shouldn't have, and I don't really think that you're just some kid. It's okay. I'm sorry, too. I didn't mean to step in and fight your battles, you know? My mouth just starts saying words without checking with my brain first, sometimes. And the two decide to reconcile and head on a walk with Barney and Pip and Ravi. And well, Pip subconsciously walks to the closest wooded area of her house where she always walks Barney, and she was too dumb to realize that these are the very woods that Sal's body was found in. What and when she gets there, she's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize, I completely forgot that these are the woods. That's okay, you can't help that these happen to be the woods outside your house. Besides, nowhere in this town doesn't remind me of my brother. You know, three years ago, I tried doing what you're doing. My parents told me to leave it alone, and I was only going to make it harder for myself and for them. But I just couldn't accept it, you know? Besides, nobody wanted to talk to me though, so it didn't really go anywhere. Nobody wanted to give interviews to the murderer's brother. I guess I was just too close to the case, and I guess I looked too much like my brother. I'm sorry, it's really unfair. Don't be. It's good to not be alone in this for once. I want to hear your theories, though. Okay. <laughs> I have four theories. First, the path of least resistance. Sal killed Andy, and because of his guilt and fear of being caught, he took his own life. Second theory, a third party killed Andy, but Sal was somehow involved, like an accessory after the fact. He helped bury the body, his guilt led him to commit suicide, and the evidence found on him implicates him as the perpetrator, even though he's not the one that killed her. The actual killer is still out there. So this is like the Naomi theory. Three, a third party killed Andy, Sal had no involvement, and his suicide days later wasn't motivated by guilt, but it was the stress of her disappearance, the crushing evidence against him. He was innocent and he couldn't handle the stress. Four, Andy is murdered and the killer knows Sal and he thinks that he could make the perfect suspect. The killer murders Sal and stages it to look like a suicide, and they plant the blood and phone on his body to make him look guilty. And it works just as they planned. You think it's possible that my brother was actually murdered? I think it is a theoretical possibility. And I have another theory, but it's far-fetched. No one killed Andy Bell because she isn't dead. She faked her death and her disappearance and then lured Sal into the woods, killed him, and dressed it like a suicide. She planted her own phone and blood on him so everyone believed that she was dead. She wanted to disappear for some very strong reason. Maybe she feared for her life and needed to make it look like she was already dead. Maybe she had an accomplice. Okay, dang. Wow. Wow. She's been watching a lot of TV. She's been watching a lot of Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> Hello, Allison. Is that you? I will say I feel like this book is very much inspired by Pretty Little Liars because the Hastings family is very wealthy. The Andy sounds like Allie, Allison. I wouldn't know. But. You wouldn't know. And then the best friends are like, I don't know. It just feels... I don't know. Yeah. Like, not inspired because it has nothing to do with the plot of A, but very similar in the sense, like, there's definitely similarities, I see. So after that walk, Ravi wanted to make a deal with Pip, that he wanted to be in on this project. He was going to help her, and she was going to help him. They agreed that they would make it work, and when they shook hands, Ravi pulled out a phone for Pip. Sal's phone. It was Sal's phone, and Ravi had the password to it. There, here are the th key things found. Sal had called Andy over a hundred times after she disappeared. Pip was confused. I mean, why would he call her over a hundred times if she wasn't gonna pick up and he had her phone? 
I asked the police the same question. The officer told me it was clear that Sal was making a conscious effort to look innocent by calling the victim's phone so many times. Why did he keep Andy's phone though? He could have gotten rid of it wherever he left her body. It would have never been connected to him. Mm -hmm. And why would he end his life with her phone on him? The officer couldn't answer that. Pitt found a few pieces of intrigue. The last text Sal sent Andy before she vanished was, I'm not talking to you until you've stopped. It sounds like they were fighting, but Ravi had no idea what they were fighting about. And then the last text Sal ever sent was to his dad. It said, it was me, I did it, I'm so sorry. Pip thought it was weird. So Sal is very smart, but he hated punctuating in text messages or even capitalizing. But the last text had periods and apostrophes. Sure, it was all in lowercase, but that's just not how he texted. Meaning someone could have texted pretending to be him, but didn't study his text too much. And lastly, Sal had taken a note Wednesday, two days before Andy's disappearance, and it looked like a license plate number. Ravi said he tried to look up the license plate and there was no luck. And the two agreed, Sal was just too smart to do this. If he really wanted to kill someone, which they can't imagine him ever doing, he was more clever than that. I mean, just come on, make it make sense. Allegedly, Sal was found with Andy's blood literally in his hands, under his fingernails, on Tuesday, she was she disappeared and was allegedly murdered on Friday, so he didn't rewash his hands. That's like the most basic killer instinct. Sal would not be that stupid. The next step was clear. Pip tried to track down Andy's best friends, and um, she found two of them through some heavy social media stalking. Chloe Birch and Emma Hutton. They were super involved in trying to find Andy when she first went missing. Neither of them live in Fairview anymore, but maybe a little phone interview wouldn't hurt. Emma was the first to agree to it, and she sounded nice enough. So Emma, what did you tell the police about Sal? Only that they were fighting earlier that week. Even at school, which was out of the ordinary, Sal seemed really mad about something, interestingly. Do you remember what about? I don't know, when I asked Andy, she just said that Sal was being a little bitch. Oh, wow, uh, did Andy have plans to see Sal that weekend? No, she said she was gonna stay home for the weekend to take care of her little sister. Becca was hospitalized for self-harming a few weeks ago, so she was gonna take care of her. Oh. Yeah, I know, that poor girl, and Andy still left her all alone that night. Looking back now, I understand how hard it must have been to have a sister like Andy. What do you mean by that? I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but it's been five years and I've grown a lot and I've had time to reflect and I just don't like the person that I was when I was around Andy. That's all. Was she a bad friend to you? Yes and no. Andy's friendship was destructive, but at the time I was addicted to her. I was, I wanted to be as beautiful as her and popular and fun and being her friend, being someone that she chose to spend time with, it made you feel special. It made you feel wanted. And then she would flip a switch and use those things against you. The things that you were most self-conscious about to cut you down and hurt you. And then she would pick you back up and make you feel good again. I mean, she could be amazing and awful and you never knew which one that you were going to get with her. And I'm surprised that my self-esteem even survived that. Was Andy like that with everyone? Well, me and Chloe and her little sister Becca for sure. She was so cruel to Becca. But I, I'm not saying Andy got what she deserved. I'm just saying... I can understand why Sal might have snapped. That's all. She could make you feel so high and then feel so low. I think it was bound to end in tragedy. The interview was over, but Pip couldn't help but think, was this the real Andy Bell? Everyone was so dazzled by her that they noticed, had they not noticed this darkness in her? Pip tried to interview Chloe, the other best friend, and she was definitely a bit more hostile. And she even let a, lit, a little bit more information slip. 
Chloe let it slip that Andy got off on her secrets. Secrets made Andy feel powerful. She got a thrill of dangling a secret in front of Emma and Chloe's face and then basking and not giving them more information when they begged. She'd be like, I have something to say. I have a secret. And then she wouldn't tell you. Andy also had a ton of money on her all the time, always buying new clothes. But her family, I mean, they were well off, but they weren't like loaded, loaded. She didn't have a part-time job. And Chloe got defensive when Pip asked about tensions with Andy and her father, which meant maybe there's something there. Chloe did mention that Pip would never get to know Andy through these interviews because Chloe was her best friend and she still doesn't feel like she knew Andy. And when asked if Andy was exclusive with Sal, Chloe hesitated, meaning did Andy have another relationship? Maybe she was seeing someone behind Sal's back, which would explain the text, I'm not talking to you till you stopped. Chloe was really closed off, but she was providing a ton of good info. So yeah, Pip did something that she 1000% shouldn't have done. Went to the house. She bought a burner phone and catfished Emma pretending to be Chloe because Emma did mention that they lost contact. So what? she texted her saying, hey, Em, it's Chloe, got a new number recently. So this kid just called me asking questions about Andy for a school project. Did she call you too? Oh my God, hi, yes, she did a couple days ago. It made me a bit emotional about everything again. Well, you didn't tell her anything about Andy's love life, did you? You mean the older dude? No, did you? No, but it did make me curious. Did Andy ever tell you who it was? No, only that she could ruin him if she wanted to. Same. She really liked her secrets, huh? I don't even know if he existed. Sometimes I think that she made him up to seem more mysterious. Yeah, and the girl kept talking about Andy's dad. You think she knows? I mean, it's not that hard to work it out. He married the whole, like, right after the divorce. But does she know that Andy knew at the time? Don't see how she could. We were the only ones that knew. Anyway, why does it matter if she knows? I guess you're right, Emma. I'm just a little protective, I guess, of Andy's secret stone. Well, you should really try letting go. I feel better after distancing myself from this whole thing. And with that, Pip naturally ended the conversation. She felt bad, obviously. Emma seemed so nice and trusting, but at least Pip had two more leads. Jason Bell was having an affair and Andy knew about it. Maybe that explains their relationship being tense and also the money. Maybe she was blackmailing her dad. And the biggest reveal was Andy was seeing an older man, a man that she could ruin. Immediately, Pip's mind went to a married man. Maybe she was blackmailing him for the money, or maybe he was giving it to her for, I don't know, out of love. Person of interest list now included secret older guy. Pip obviously wanted to investigate more because it was just getting good, but it was Kara's 18th birthday, and she demanded that all six of her closest friends go camping in the middle of the woods, sleep in a tent, pee behind a tree type of trip. Not Pip's ideal trip. It seems like only Kara was the one that was excited. They set up their tents, ate some food, joked around, and as the sun set, they decided to tell ghost stories by the fire. And uh, when they were thoroughly freaked out, they went into their tent to try and sleep. Which, side note, some of the kids were getting super drunk, so that's not smart. Anyway, while they're trying to fall asleep, Pip heard a noise in the woods. She turned on her flashlight. Guys, no one look now, but I think there's someone in the trees watching us. What? Everyone froze, and they whispered, where, where? My 10 o'clock. And with that, one of the boys, Connor, grabbed his flashlight and ran out. You pervert, come here! And starts chasing after the figure. Pip ran out after Connor to try and make sure that he didn't hurt himself. And then the rest of the boys ran after her, making sure that she was good. And they chased Connor through the woods as he chased the pervert, or whoever was watching them in the woods. And finally, when they caught up with him, he was drenched in sweat. And the watcher, or whoever it was, was long gone. And when they got back, Lauren and Kara were drunk and lost near the tent. 
literally right next to the tent. They were in the woods scrambling about and they were screaming for help. Oh. They were too drunk. They stumbled around and they got lost. <laughs> what? And they were scared. They were terrified. Pip apologized and later she tried to go back to her sleeping bag to sleep, but she saw this tiny rolled up piece of paper, a note, and it read, stop digging Pippa. And it was printed on a piece of paper. Pippa. Pippa. Pip at first believed one of the boys was trying to scare her, but they passionately refuted the idea that it was one of them. None of you guys did it? You expect me to believe that? Was this the whole stranger in the woods a setup too? Was that one of your friends? Spare me the innocent act, you guys. You guys are full of shit. Pip tried to act like she didn't believe them, but she was the last one to fall asleep that night. Because what if, what if it wasn't her friends? Someone had followed her into the forest to leave her a threat. And a few days later at Kara's house, Pip couldn't get over the strange feeling that maybe Naomi sent the letter. She asked Kara to use her computer for something and tried to get hooked up to the family printer. And from there, she went into the printer settings and clicked keep printed documents. So next time, if she got another letter, it would keep a log. For some reason, she just felt like Naomi sent it because Naomi would be the only one that knew where they were camping. Capstone Project Log Entry 13. Another interview with Emma. This time, Pip told Emma straight up that an anonymous source told her that Andy was seeing someone older. Well, yeah, that's what Andy said, but she was never gonna tell us his name though. She liked teasing us too much that we didn't know. Do you know how long it's been going on? Like not long at all before she went missing. I think maybe started about a month before. Did you mention it to the police? No, because those are the only details we ever knew and I thought she made it up for some drama in her life. But after the whole Sal thing, didn't you think it was relevant information, a possible motive for Sal? No, because I, I was convinced he wasn't real. And Andy wasn't stupid enough to sell Sal about an older guy. And she was really good at keeping secrets. So I doubt that he found out. Okay, and did Andy ever have a falling out with Naomi Ward? Sal's friend? Not to my knowledge, but she was Sal's friend, not Andy's friend. Did Andy ever mention her though? No, but she hated Mr. Ward, her dad. She called him an asshole around the time that she disappeared. Why do you think? Did she say? I don't know, maybe he dress coded her or something. She hated that. Pick hung up the phone feeling devastated. First Naomi, now Mr. Ward. Why are all the suspects turning out to be people that Pip was close with? Pip couldn't help but wonder, maybe, maybe the older man was a lot older, like Mr. Ward old. I mean, technically she could ruin him because he was a teacher and she was underage. That's ruining someone. Jail time is ruining someone. But would Mr. Ward do that? And he's not really the kind of man a beautiful, popular 17 year old would lust after, let's be real. He looks like a history teacher. But Pip had to investigate all the leads casually. But he's How do a you, professor. Yeah. How do you casually ask a grown man that you've known since that you were six years old if they lied about a murdered girl? But now he was on the subject list and off to history class Pip went. After history class, Pip asked for a moment with Mr. Ward. Uh, what is it, Pip? You have got 10 minutes before I start panicking about the line to get paninis today. <laughs> yeah, well, um, everything okay, Pip? Worried about your early, ex early app to Columbia? You don't need to worry. I've already started on your letter of recommendation and no, no, thanks. It's, it's not about that, but so last time I asked if you had anything to do with Andy in the last two years of school and you said no. And one of her friends said that Andy referred to you as an asshole a few weeks before she went missing. Oh, well, I was hoping it didn't come to this. I don't know how it would be good to dwell on it now, but I, I could see, you know, you're being very thorough and I, I don't feel too comfortable saying it out loud, saying some unpleasant things about a student who lost her life, but Andy was bullying another girl in her grade. 
I forgot her name, but Andy had made this video of her and posted it online. Um, I think she had leaked her nudes. And I knew that Andy was gonna get expelled if, she, if I told the principal, which I felt was such a shame since she was so close to graduating. So instead I called her father. I told her parents what happened and they agreed that we should handle it without the principal knowing. Honestly, if I was a target of choice words from Andy that week, I'm not entirely surprised, but I am disappointed. That's all. Pip sighed. What was that for? Pip, what was that sigh for? Just glad you weren't lying for a worse reason. Yeah, it's about time to put those mystery books down, okay? May I interest you in a historical biography? Pip rolled her eyes. But do you remember the girl that Andy was bullying? No, sorry. But Naomi would probably still remember. Just ask her. But careful. Don't go falling down a rabbit hole. You want to go grab a tuna melt? I'm okay, thanks. And Pip skipped out of the room. The lead was coming back to Naomi once again. There had to be something there. Capstone Project Entry 15. A second interview with Naomi Ward. Pip gathered the girl that Andy was bullying was Natalia Da Silva. And like Andy, she was pretty and blonde, and they looked so similar that they could actually be sisters. Andy felt threatened by her, according to Naomi. So she started spreading rumors about her, just really bad rumors, saying that Nat's family was incestuous, that Nat liked to sneak into changing rooms at stores and watch people undress and touch herself. Andy was finding ways to humiliate her for no reason. Naomi was also friends with Nat, and Naomi believed Andy wanted to be the one that everyone wanted, and Nat was competition, so she had to take her down. And the video? Well, apparently Andy was hanging out with this guy named Chris, and Nat really liked Chris, so Andy used his phone, with his knowledge, to text Nat, pretending. And they started sexting, and Nat sent a topless video of herself with her face in it and Andy shared the video with everyone. Everyone in the school saw it before it was taken down. Nat was breaking down because of it. She felt so humiliated. Did Sal know that Andy was behind all of this? I told him. He didn't approve, but he said, it's Andy's drama. I don't want to get involved. Sal was just too laid back about some things, you know? Was there anything else that happened between them? Well, Nat got the lead in the school play and Andy really wanted it, so she came up to Nat and told her that her older brother, Daniel Da Silva, who is five years older than them, had sex with Andy when she was only 15. So she said that if Nat doesn't drop out of the play for Andy to get the lead, she would go to the police and he would be arrested for rape. So Nat dropped out. Was it true? Did Andy have a relationship with Nat's brother? I don't know, Nat didn't ask, she didn't want to ask him, but she did drop out of the play and her life just kind of went downhill from there. I heard she was in college recently and assaulted her roommate. She was arrested and she spent some time in prison. Now she's back home on house arrest. Oh God, that's terrible. Can I get her number? Ravi and Pip decided to check out the lead and talk to Nat themselves, which side note, the whole ride to Nat's house, all Pip wanted to do was tell Ravi about the note that she got while she was camping, but she knew that if he knew that she was in danger, he would make her stop investigating. He would stop everything. And she couldn't risk that, not with how far they've come. So they were just, they were pushing through. Everyone believed Andy was this angel and it was so easy for everyone to believe that Sal was this monster. So at Nat's house, they were confronted with a woman who looked eerily similar to Andy. Big blue eyes, plump pale lips, blonde, but this one looked tired and hostile. She wasn't a great interviewee. She refused to let them in the house. She was still pissed at Andy. And she said, the bitch ruined my life. I'm not wasting another breath on her. This whole town worships her. Fairview, sweetheart. The fucking bench says, taken too soon. Yeah, well, not too soon enough, it should say. 
Naomi did mention that Sal was always nice to her, even gave up his lunch period to tutor her when she asked for help, and she mentioned leaving a threatening note in Andy's locker in anger. Boom. That threatening note. The death letter. Something along the lines of, stupid bitch, I'm gonna kill you. Obviously, Pip and Ravi thought that Nat had something to do with Andy's disappearance, but she would start laughing it off. What, what, what about your brother? Did he have a relationship with her? Daniel? What, is he a suspect too? No, the night she disappeared, he was out drinking with his cop buddies. Wait, he's a police officer? Just finished training that year, so yeah, no murderers in this house, I'm afraid. So fuck off. And the door was slammed in their face. In the car, the two look up Daniel Da Silva and uh, the cop brother. Ravi recognizes him. When I first started asking questions about Sal, he told me to give it up, that my brother was guilty beyond doubt. He did not like me at all. Ravi, if someone did frame Sal and make his death look like a suicide, wouldn't it be easier with someone with knowledge of police procedures? Yeah, and that rumor you told me that he slept with Andy when she was 15? And what if they started up again? Daniel was married recently and he started his cop career. He could be the secret older guy. She could have ruined him. And what if it was a sister-brother killer tag team? What if they both decided to kill Andy? And just like that, both the De Silvas made it on the list. Capstone Project Log, Entry 18. Through the Freedom of Information Act, Pip was able to get the transcript of Sal's interview, and it didn't look good. The police confronted Sal with the fact that friends had seen the couple argue at school before she vanished, and Sal said, oh, maybe a bit. Andy could have had a temper, I guess. Well, what were you guys arguing about? Oh, I, I don't know, it was private. You don't want to tell us? Yeah, no, I don't want to tell you guys. You might think it's not relevant, but even the smallest detail could help us. I can't say. So where do you think Andy could be? Um, honestly, I think she could just be taking a break somewhere with her phone off so she can ignore the world for a while. Or at least that's what I'm hoping. What would she need a break from? I don't know. It just didn't seem good. Even the fact that he lied about never arguing with her and then later it being exposed that they were just arguing and he refused to tell them what about. I mean, it makes sense why the police were so suspicious. I don't think anything is too private that you wouldn't tell the police if it could help find your missing significant other. Could Sal really have been guilty all along? I mean, it was the path of least resistance. But no, the note. Someone wanted me to stop digging. Someone in this town has something to hide and they're scared because I'm on the right path to chasing them down. A few days later, Pip was getting coffee when she ran into Becca. Becca Bell, Andy's younger sister. She hasn't seen her in town for years. She must be like, what, 20, 22 now? And there she is sitting at a cafe. Even though Becca and Andy look so similar, Becca really didn't have the charisma and mysteriousness in her face that Andy had. Pip knew she shouldn't, and it was wrong. It was unethical. Hi, Becca, right? Yeah, do I know you? No, you don't, but... Oh... Wait, you're the girl doing a project about my sister. How did you know? Um, I'm, I'm kind of dating Stanley Forbes, the reporter. Kind of not. I don't know yet. What? Oh, nice guy. Um, yeah, I, I graduated and I'm doing an internship at Fairview Mail. Cool. Um, I actually want to be a journalist too. Is that why you're doing a project on Andy? Yeah, sorry for intruding. Uh, you can totally tell me to leave, but I, I was just wondering if you could answer some questions. What kind? Did you and your sister get allowance from your parents? That's not the type of question I was expecting. And no, not really. They just bought us whatever we needed. That's all, really. And was there any tension between you and your sister and your dad? Actually, I don't think this is a good idea. We're finally settled, and I don't want to dwell on this, and you do your project, but I prefer if you left us out of it. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. No worries. And with that, Becca left. 
Capstone Project Log Entry 19. Pip knows she was pushing her luck with Becca, but she was the last one to see her alive. And if Becca didn't want to talk to her, which she totally understood, maybe Becca's best friend from high school would shed some light. Andy's home life was intense. So Becca's best friend is named Jess and she was willing to do an interview. And she basically said that their family was really dysfunctional. They seem normal at first glance, unless you spend a lot of time with them, they're not normal. There was just something wrong with the dad, Jason. The way he spoke to the girls and his wife. And if you only saw it a few times, you might think that he's being funny, but if you saw it all the time, it definitely affected the environment in the house. He would make mean remarks about the way they looked. He would count every single wrinkle on his wife's face. And he would just talk about how Andy needed to wear makeup outside the house because her face was her moneymaker. Andy was stressed about getting into college. And her dad said, who the f cares? You're going to marry rich anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he would count the wrinkles on his wife. And he would say things like, I married you for looks and you married me for money. And only one of us is holding up the deal. Yeah, he would laugh, pretending he was teasing, but it was just unsettling. I hated going to their house. Andy started caring so much about what people thought about her after that and thought about the way she looked, and Becca became obsessed with her flaws. She started skipping meals. I mean, it affected them so differently. Andy got louder, Becca got quieter, and the two of them didn't get along. Jason made it like a competition in his house, really. He loved pitting all of them against each other. But Becca always looked up to Andy. They were only 15 months apart, but Becca wanted Andy to be her older sister. She even went, to, she even dragged me actually to one of those calamity parties, those house parties that Andy always went to. Becca wasn't invited. Andy never invited us. She just dragged me to one and it was fucking awful. We sat in a corner. Andy was pissed that Becca showed up and Becca completely disappeared on me, which rude. And the next day I found out what happened and she slept with someone and she asked me to go get the morning after pill with her. It was just like a huge wedge in our friendship after that, like just leaving me to go sleep with someone at a party and she knew I didn't want to be there. Anyway, another interesting thing that we get out of their conversation is that Jason Bell actually left the, the dinner party with his wife that night. So remember how they, the Bell parents were at a dinner party? Jason Bell left in the middle. Apparently the alarm went off in one of his businesses and he drove to check it out. Hmm. Interesting. And Jess mentioned that she never even knew that Sal and Andy were dating. In fact, she saw her at the Calamity Party being close to another guy. A rich blonde guy? Max Hastings? Sal's best friend? The ones whose house he was at? What? So from this, Pip is more sus of Jason and Max, and Andy's home life sounds miserable. So maybe Andy wasn't the perfect girl and the Bells weren't the perfect family like everyone made them out to be. All those smiling family photos were a lie. And Max Hastings, he claimed they were never friends, but, but someone saw you guys cuddling up together at a party. That sounds pretty friendly. Max was held back a year, so technically he was an older guy. Was he seeing Andy on the side, betraying Sal on so many levels? That could ruin him. And then Pip found out Max had a secret Finsta, a super private social media account, and the name was Nancy Tango Tits. A lot of kids did this so that they wouldn't have their social media accounts pulled up by an employer or by the college administration. But now Pip had to find a way to get those pictures. But first, maybe she can talk to him. She went over to Max's house and demanded to know why he hid the fact that he was dating Andy. And Max's mom was downstairs and her eyes went so wide. Max grabbed Pip's arm, rushed upstairs. Not in front of my mom, Jesus. I already told you, I don't know Andy that well. And I'm starting to find your tone f***ing annoying. Pip snapped back. And she saw Max's eyes dart to the board on his wall. She tries to make casual conversation while casually inching her way closer and closer to the board. There must be something on there that, she that he doesn't want her to see because why is he nervously eyeing it? And boom, there it was. She saw it under a poster, a tiny corner of it, a glossy photo 
from a movie poster. And when she ripped it off, he was screaming, stop, that's my private stuff. Pip looked down at the picture and gasped. It was Andy standing on a red and white tiled floor in only her undies, <gasps> a very sexual intimate photo. What? Care to explain, Matt, or should I call the police? Don't be dramatic. It has nothing to do with what happened to her. Andy didn't give me the picture. I found it. It was lying around in school. I found it and kept it. Andy never knew about it. You just found it lying around? Really now? Yes. Hidden in the back of a classroom, I swear. And I kept it because I don't know. She's hot and I wanted to. And then it seemed wrong to throw it away because, you know, she took the photo. Clearly, she wanted to be seen. Max explained wow. he was talking to Andy at a party, but not because he was trying to get her, because she was selling drugs. Just weed and a few pills, nothing super hard, only at the parties, and just to a few people. She wasn't like a proper drug dealer. She worked with the actual drug dealer in town, got, got him an in with the younger school crowd, and it worked out well for the both of them. Andy didn't do drugs. She sold drugs because she loved the money and power. And apparently Sal didn't know, or at least to Max's knowledge, because Max thinks Sal would have freaked out. And that would make sense on why she always had cash. But Max said he didn't know who the drug dealer was or who she was working with, or at least he claimed he didn't know. So what does Pip do? She goes rogue. She goes to one of those house parties to find out who's supplying the drugs. Sure, it could have been another dealer. It's not like there's only one dealer per town, but it was the only shot that she had. So she begged all of her friends to go with her. She looked everywhere for the telltale signs that somebody was high. And she found out a drug dealer's name and number and, uh, who knows if this is their real name, but Howie is the guy. So she gets his number and she goes on to do only one of the scariest things ever. She finds out where Howie was drug dealing and sat in her car to take pictures of him while he was doing drug deals. Turns out a lot of the kids at school were buying from him and Stanley Forbes even met up with him, the reporter. Oddly, not to buy drugs. She had no idea what was going on between the two of them. Howie was handed money by Stanley, but never gave Stanley any drugs. And Stan looked at him and said, this is the last time, you hear me? You can't keep asking for more, I don't have it. And left. Wait, 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 the drug dealer yeah. is asking the reporter for money. Or something in an envelope. Pip took as many photos as she could, and when Howie was done, Pip followed him home, and when she was outside his house, two things made her scream on the inside. Her eyes were practically popping out of her sockets. One, the street he lived on was Monroe Street, where Andy's car was found. Second, well, she called Ravi to come meet her ASAP and gave the address and her stomach was jumping and his, his license plate was the same one that Sal had written down on his notes. Hmm. That's it. They were going in. Yeah. Wait, so, so why didn't the police find the car? They never took Sal's phone, I guess, or they didn't care to. They were just like, he's the killer who cares to go through his phone. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, they start knocking on the door and Ravi is like, wait, he's not just going to talk to you. You know that. Don't worry. I have leverage. So when the door opens, they show him the pictures and demanded that they come inside to ask questions or else they're going to the police with the pictures. Mainly, Pip wanted to know if maybe Andy and Howie were seeing each other and he was the older guy. That would make sense. She could easily ruin him by going to the police and telling him, telling the police that he was a drug dealer. But all Howie said was that he was home when she went missing and Andy had a few burner phones. He also made sure that she used everything in code so not to get caught because if she was caught, then he would get caught. Howie said he believed Andy had a hiding spot in her house for the drugs and phone because he made sure and she said that it was in her closet floorboard. So it's very much Pretty Little Liars, okay? <laughs> and Howie mentioned that she started with weed, but by the end she was selling all sorts of things. Literally weed, ecstasy, ketamine, roofies. But it's not what you think. Uh, roofies, we just sell them for chilling out. Well, who buys roofies from her? 
But I think some rich guy, I forget his name. Was he blonde? Yeah, I think so. Max Hastings confirmed. But why would he need date drugs? And with that information, the pair were more confused than ever. But it did bring them together more. Because blackmail always is romantic, you know? So they're giggle gaggling over their little blackmail stunt. And they can't stop smiling when they're around each other. I mean, what book can't have a romance line simultaneously with a murder plot? So Ravi and Pip, they're in it forever. I mean, it's only necessary. Capstone Project Log Entry 23. Howie lived on the street where Andy's car was found and his alibi of being home passed out drunk. I mean, not a great alibi. But also, Max had a naked picture of the murder victim he claims he was never romantically involved with. He bought drugs from Andy. I mean, everyone's starting to look suspicious. But the priority should be finding the burner phone. Because that would give a lot of answers. Maybe she was even texting the older guy from the burner phone. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe he was buying drugs. So as she's planning on what to do next, she gets an anonymous number text message. It read, you stupid bitch, leave this alone while you still can. Another threat. Capstone Project Log, Entry 24. Pip can't sleep. I mean, she can't because, sure, the first note of the leave this alone or like, I'm warning you, Pippa from the cabin. This was serious. This was another text. Someone wants her to stop. But who? Who had her number? So what do they do? They need answers. Ravi and Pip, they break into the bell house while everyone is at work. This is a small town, so they don't really break in. Everyone usually use their, leaves their keys hidden near the front door. Hidden is under the mat, above the door frame, or in a pot. You get it. Very quickly, they find the bell house key, and they walk in. They waltz right in to Andy's room, and it looked like the room had been preserved for her to come back. Very much Pretty Little Liars. The carpet had been steamed. It had been, you know, re-vacuumed. The dust had been dusted. And they don't find the burner phone, nowhere in the closet. But they do find Andy's planner, her school planner, and they took pictures of each page. And when they got home, they analyzed each page. And they found out that Andy took um, Howie's advice, that everything was in code. But there was a phone number. It was scratched out in the middle, so you could see the top numbers. So, it, I mean, some of them could be a 1 or a 7 or a 9, but you could kind of see, right? There it were reminds only... me of escape rooms. <laughs> yes, there were only so many variations of the numbers. And it mentioned that she should be meeting someone at IV. That's all she wrote, code IV. Pip tried to look everywhere with anything that started with an I and a V, and she couldn't find anything. And she knew that it had to be something because HH stood for Howie's house. So what the hell is IV? And finally, Ravi was like, what if it's Ivy House Inn in Westport? It's like a motel. Well, not a motel. It's like a nice inn. Pip Googled it in the customer photos. Red what? and white tiles in the bathroom. Oh... It was where Andy took that nude photo of herself, the one that Max had. Looks like the pair were going to Westport to investigate. When they went, they found the grandma that owned the inn and she was struggling with Alzheimer's, so her son was pretty much running the whole place and she said that she did remember seeing her. But she said it wasn't five years ago, it was a few weeks ago. Are you kidding And they were me? like, are you sure? And then she burst into tears and her son said, sorry, my grandma has Alzheimer's, she doesn't really remember much. But nevertheless, it was a successful trip. Andy stayed at the Ivy Inn house, and that was for sure. And regardless of what Grandma claims of when she saw her, she saw her. So maybe Andy was at the Ivy House Inn to meet that older guy that she was seeing. So that means whoever secret older guy was didn't want Andy over at his house. And why would that be the case? Maybe he had a wife, Daniel Da Silva. Because Howie lived alone, they wouldn't have to go to the Ivy Inn house. And if they had a rendezvous, Max, I mean, sure, he lived with his mom, but she was always out of town. So maybe it's Max and the Silva, the cop. 
Capstone Project Log Entry 27. Max Hastings was the most suspicious person to pip, and now it's time to follow the trail. The trail of date drugs. I mean, no normal 19-year-old buy boy buys roofies at school parties unless, unless he's doing something with it. Pip reached out to Emma, Andy's friend, and asked if strange things are happening at the calamity parties that Max threw. Yeah, maybe. I do remember girls saying that their drinks had been spiked, but to be honest, I think everyone used to just get really drunk at those parties, so maybe they were saying it to get attention. Or maybe they were embarrassed about how they had been acting. I never had mine spiked. Not good enough. Sounded kind of misogynistic and close-minded. So Pip catfished a bunch of other older girls in Andy's grade, pretending to be a CNN reporter that was investigating a local case about a ton of girls getting mass-drugged at house parties. A lot of them responded, and one of them even slipped that Natalia da Silva, Nat, had her, had her drink spiked. So let's assume safely that drinks were being spiked at calamity parties in 2014. So Max was buying roofies from Andy and the girls were getting their drinks spiked. I mean, it doesn't take two and two to put it together. Not only that, Nat da Silva might have very well been one of those girls who had their drinks spiked. And it's not like Pip can ask her, Nat hates her. So that was just another connection between the names on the person of interest list, between Max Hastings, Howie, and now Max Hastings and the two Da Silva siblings. Which means Pip needed to log anyone who was friends with Max's real social media accounts. And one of the easiest ways was to ask Kara for Naomi's social media account passwords, because they would very much be friends. Surprisingly, Kara was okay with it, so into the social media world Pip goes, and it was clear why Max had a Finsta. The pictures on there were wild and intense. Pip scrolled through each one of them from the inception of the social media page and then to 2014 when she saw the photos from that night. And everything was sharp and static again. Pip leaned forward. Max had taken and posted 10 photos. Naomi posted three. Millie, six. So a total of 19 photos that existed alongside Andy's last hours of life. Pip laid in bed and went through every single picture over and over and over again. And the pictures themselves were very casual. Nothing extraordinary. But there was one that Pip couldn't stop thinking about. All four friends were in the frame. Naomi was sitting with her back to the camera, looking down. Even though she was in the background, you could make out the lock screen on the phone in her hands. The main focus in the photo were Max, Millie, and Jake. They were standing near their sofa, smiling, as Millie rested her arms over the boy's shoulders. Pip shivered. She hadn't seen it till now. To get all of that in frame, someone must have taken the photo, from five feet away at least. So who the hell was taking the picture? She uploaded the picture to her Photoshop and zoomed into the mirror on the window, anywhere, to get a reflection. And she found it all. Naomi's phone read 12.09 a.m. And there was a slight reflection of whoever was taking the photo. And it was blurry. You couldn't see the person's face. But they were wearing a blue shirt, just like Sal that night. Pip printed the picture, a picture of it zoomed on on the phone time, another one of the blurry reflection. And she couldn't wait to tell Ravi. And when he first saw the pictures, he sat in silence. So Sal never lied. He did leave Max's at 12.15 like he said he did. It was his friends who lied, but why? Why would they lie and take away his alibi? Oh my God, this means my brother is innocent. Pip wanted to make sure though. When Ravi looked up, they saw that they were sitting outside Max's house. We need to make sure that he didn't have time to kill Andy after he left at 12.15. He went home at 12.50. His house is only, what, a 10 minute walk from here? So let's recreate it. So they tried to recreate what the police would do. They, they walked from Max's house to a point where he could meet Andy in the car. Then they drove to a secluded place. They pretended to kill her, then carry her, her body into the trunk, and then put her into a se second place, leave the car on Monroe Road, and then run back home. 
And they did it as optimistically as possible. They were just going stab, 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 put it in the trunk. Like it wasn't even, you know how hard it is to actually kill someone? I wouldn't know personally FBI, but like you know how hard it is. There's no easy way. And Sal hid the body so well because Andy's body was still not found. So, I mean, what? And it still took them too long. And it was in that moment, outside of his own home, reenacting a murder the whole town believed his brother did, Ravi broke down. At first he laughed, a laugh of disbelief, and then he smiled, and then he laughed a genuine laugh, and then that laugh morphed into a gut-wrenching scream, like a painful scream, and all Pip could do was watch while she cried. It wasn't enough to go to the police, but they had something. They finally had something. And Pip was going to go to Naomi and confront her with it first. She showed up at the ward's house, and would you look at that perfect freaking timing because Max is there. Pip didn't even try to show Kara that she's okay. I came here as a courtesy because, Naomi, you've been like a sister to me my whole life, but Max, I owe you nothing. Kara's like, what's, what's going on, Pip? Everything okay? I want to give you a chance to explain to me before I go to the police. Look at this photo. So, the night Sal left your house at 10.30 to go kill Andy? Yeah, what's your point? If you stop blustering for a f***ing second and look at the photo, you'll see my point. Obviously, if you paid attention to details, you wouldn't have uploaded it, so explain it to me. Naomi's eyes widened and she stared down at the photo. The time on my phone, Max. The time on my phone. Shut up. Stop talking. Don't say anything else. Max, she's going to go to the police, Max. We have to tell her. Kara was getting scared. What's going on? Tell us, Naomi. Tell us. Max was screaming. God, why, why'd you do this? Why couldn't you just leave everything alone? Naomi, tell me. You guys lied to take away his alibi, so tell us why. Someone made us do it. We, all of us. We got a text that night from an anonymous number on Monday to delete every picture of Sal taken that night and only upload the rest as normal. It told us that at school on Tuesday that we would have to call the police and tell them that we lied. That Sal made us lie. Why? Because whoever, whoever knew what we did, we did something very bad. Naomi and Kara start crying and comforting each other. Kara clearly had no idea what was going on, but she was trying to be there for her sister. Max, it was New Year's, 2013. We, we? Max, it was you. It happened because of you. You got us into this, and you're the only one that made us leave him there. Stop. We all agreed at the time, so don't f***ing lie. Because I was scared. Naomi, tell us what's going on. We, uh... We all went out to this party and we all drank and on the way back home, Max was driving and he said it was fine because he wasn't drunk and he said it was okay and we all got in the car and he convinced us and it wasn't okay. It was so stupid. If I could go back and change one thing in my life, it would be that moment. Sal wasn't there? No, I wish he had been because he would never let us do something so dumb. Max was driving way too fast on the highway and it was like 4 a.m. There were no other cars on the road and this man just came out of nowhere. No, he didn't. He was standing on the shoulder, Max. You lost control of the car. Well, then we remember it differently. There was so much blood and his legs were all bent all wrong and he looked dead, okay? We checked if he was still breathing and he wasn't and it was too... <sighs> it was too late for him. Even if we called the ambulance, he would have been dead and we would all have been in jail. And you all agreed. You made us. You got inside our heads and you were scaring us. Pip was shook and Kara was crying. Did the man die? No. He was in a coma for a few weeks and he pulled through. But he's paraplegic now. He's in a wheelchair. And we did that to him. We should have never left. Somehow, someone knew what we did, and they said if we didn't do everything they asked, they would tell the police. So we did it. We deleted the pictures and we lied to the police. But how did someone find out about the hit and run? Everyone argued for a while about that aspect, Naomi saying it was Max because he was always drunk at parties and said some bullshit 
Meanwhile, Max denied it was him. Naomi also confessed that she was MIA from Max's house that night because she was upstairs with Sal. Sal wanted to talk and he mentioned wanting to break up with Andy. He said that he was done about how he was treating people and she was a different person when she was with him. But he couldn't ignore anything else. So just to be clear, Sal did leave Max's house at 12.15 the night Andy disappeared. And Monday, someone threatens you, makes you go to the police and delete all traces of him that night. The next day, Sal is found dead in the woods. You know what that means, don't you? Sal was innocent. Someone killed Andy and then killed Sal, making sure that he looked guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And your best friend was innocent and you knew it for years. It was a quite emotional night, but it wasn't what Pip needed. She couldn't go to the police with this information. It wasn't enough to clear Sal, not yet. It didn't catch Andy's real killer and that's what she needed. And it would only ruin Kara and Naomi. Kara would lose her mom and then her older sister, which was like her second mom. She agreed to Kara that she wouldn't go to the police, but she was gonna figure out who the hell killed Sal and Andy. That was the only way to clear Sal's name. Naomi was beyond thankful. And just like that, Pip's world got a little bit heavier. The project was no longer this hopeful small project, it was heavy. Everything was heavy. And Pip tried to explain to Ravi why she couldn't go to the police with the picture and he understood. But he said, I can give you three weeks to find the killer or else I have to go. Pip understood too. So now, the five suspects were Jason Bell, Howie Bowers, the drug dealer, Max Hastings, the roofie partier, hit and runner, Nat De Silva, the bullied victim, Daniel De Silva, the cop predator. But as Pip was narrowing it down, whoever the killer was was getting increasingly nervous because they managed to break into Pip's home with the key that her family left under the mat, got into her laptop and wrote the words, you need to stop this, more than a hundred times on her project document. The killer had been in her home, touching her things, going through their research. They knew everything she had. And inside her locker, someone had left another note. This is your final warning, Pippa. Walk away. And guess who happened to be visiting the school that same day? Looking for a job. Max. Natalie. No. Natalia. Natalia da Silva. What? But it was confusing. The killer, whoever was leaving these threatening letters, if they really wanted to hurt her or her family, wouldn't they just have done it by now? Pip couldn't walk away because she got a few death threats and stuff. I mean, she was in too deep, but she just felt so alone. Nobody knew about these threats. She couldn't tell them. She couldn't tell anyone because they would worry and prevent her from continuing her project. So Pip needed to figure out who it was before they tried to hurt her or worse, her family or Ravi. And it always came back to the burner phone. Someone must have gotten the burner phone from Andy's room after killing her, but who would have that kind of access? There's only one way to find out. She went to the Fairview Mail where she asked for the intern, Becca. Look, Becca, I don't know how to say this or how to even tell you, but what? So while researching, I found out that Andy was stealing drugs and selling them at house parties. No, there's no way. I'm so sorry. I, I've confirmed it with multiple sources. She couldn't have, there's no way. The man who supplied her with drugs had a burner phone and gave her a burner phone. He said that Andy hid it in her wardrobe along with her stash. I'm sorry, but I think someone's played a trick on you, Pip. There's no way that my sister was selling drugs. I understand it's rough, but whoever did this to your sister probably had access to her room after she went missing. The house was taped off. Maybe before the house? How about Daniel Silva? Daniel, the cop? He was close with my dad. He worked for him. He worked with him for a while before he became a police officer. He came around quite a bit. He often stopped by for dinner, but what does that have to do with my sister? He was the police officer when your sister went missing, right? Yeah, he and another officer took our statements and then did the primary search of our home. So now it's concluded Daniel could have been the one in Andy's room after she died or vanished. I, I don't get what you're trying to get out of this. Andy was not involved in drugs. I think you're being misled by someone. Daniel was the first one to access her room. 
Why does it matter? We know what happened that night. We know Sal killed her regardless of what Andy or anyone else was up to. I'm not so sure about that, Becca. And I think I'm close to proving it. And it was time for Pip to finally talk to Daniel, and she could find him at the local neighborhood meeting, where neighbors would complain to police about 12-year-olds jaywalking in residential roads. Stuff like that. The meeting was uneventful, but uh, Daniel was taller than Pip imagined, and he seemed to be very friendly with Stanley Forbes. Another connection. Oh, and Daniel Silva and his wife were definitely not getting along. Daniel's wife was pregnant, she was at the meeting, and they definitely gave off the impression that Daniel was cheating on her the whole time. And then, Pip's life was shattered. To cool off and clear her head, Pip had taken their family dog, their beloved Barney, on a, on a walk. And as per usual, they walked to the woods near her house, she unleashed him, and he was good about coming back whenever she called his name. But this time something felt off. And he didn't come back. And she ran all the way home, Dad, Mom, Barney's gone, Barney's gone. And she was so close to losing it, but she knew she had to keep it together so that she could go looking for Barney. And she didn't know what the hell was going on. They spent all morning, all night, all morning looking for him. And then she got a text. Want to see your dog again? The guilt was rushing in. Pip felt so alone. She had no one to talk to. Her dog was missing because of her, because of what she was doing, and she could never tell anyone that. She should have listened to the threats. She should have realized that this would affect more than just her. What if something happened to her brother instead? What then? Then another text. Take your computer and any USBs or hard drives that your project is saved on. Bring them to the tennis club parking lot. Walk 10 paces into the woods on the right. Don't tell anyone, come alone. If you follow the instructions, you'll get your dog back. Pip had no time to think she packed her things. Ran downstairs, hopped into the car and sped to the tennis club. She walked 100 paces into the woods and she waited. Then another text. Destroy everything and leave it there. Don't tell anyone what you know. No more questions about Andy. This is finished. Pip's eyes watered as she got on her knees in the mud, took out her laptop, all her USBs, and started stomping on them with the heel of her boot, breaking her laptop, stomping on her USBs, tears streaming down her face. And when she was done, she sat there, sat there sobbing and waiting. She thought Barney would come. She thought she would hear his paws. But nothing. She head home, laid in bed, crying. She lied to her parents that her laptop was stolen, which made her only feel guiltier. But at least Barney would be back, right? Later that day, a knock on her door. Dad? Sweetie? They found Barney. Great! Why don't you sound happy? I'm so sorry. He must have fallen into the river. <clears throat> Honey, he drowned. And Pip's world fell apart. It wasn't fair. It, she felt like she was being swallowed by a black hole. She did everything they wanted her to. It's not fair. And then when Ravi came over, Pip did the hardest thing she could ever do, which was to tell him she's done. It wasn't necessarily true, but she knew that if she had been targeted like this, if anyone knew that Ravi was helping her, he would get targeted too. And she couldn't live with that. He had already been through so much. Ravi was upset to say the least. He felt betrayed. Pip made him feel like she was different. This was different, that they were going to help Sal set Sal free. But now she was just stopping. But you can't. You said that he's innocent. Ravi, it's not my job to prove that. But you made it your job. You barged your way into my life, offering me this change. And I... I never had this before. You can't take that away from me now. You know I need you. You can't give up. This isn't you. I'm sorry. Fine. I don't know why you're doing this, but fine. I'll send Sal's alibi photo to the police on my own. Send me the file. I can't. My laptop was stolen. But you printed it. Where, where's that? I destroyed it. It's gone. Why would you do that? Why are you doing this? Because I don't want to be a part of this anymore. This isn't fair. My brother was innocent and you got rid of the one small bit of evidence that we had. If you stand back now, Pip, you're just as bad as everyone else in Fairview. Everyone who painted the word scum on our house smashed our windows. Everyone who looks at me the way that they look at me. No, you'll be worse. At least they think he's guilty. 
And with that, Ravi stormed out and let Pip cry on her own. Ravi hated her, but at least now he would be safe. So it was to Pip's confusion that Ravi was standing at their front door the next day. Ravi, why are you here? Can we talk? They went up to her room and she says, I, I don't get why you're here. I thought about it all night, literally all night. It was light outside when I finally went to sleep and I can only think of one thing that makes sense because I do know you and I wasn't wrong about you. Someone took Barney, didn't they? They threatened you and they took your dog and they killed him so you would stay quiet. Pip started crying. Ravi hugged her. It's okay, don't cry. And Pip told him everything that happened. The note, the woods, the locker, the text, the threats. And, and they lied. They said that I would get him back, but they killed him. But who's next? You? Me? The killer's been inside my house. My nine-year-old brother lives right next to me. My parents could lose their only son, and your parents could lose their only son they have left. The killer knows everything. They've beaten us. We have too much to lose. They talk about what to do next, but Ravi is devastated they lost all the evidence. Pip tells him she never could have destroyed it. She emails everything to herself, forever. But it's not enough to help them because the killer is watching us. The killer knows that I have the photo. They probably thought how to handle it if we do go to the police. We played our final hand and honestly, it's not strong. So what, the killer retaliates? We don't have a smoking gun, we need a smoking gun. So together they sit down and they make a murder board with red string and everything. And while making the murder board, an unknown call. Their heart starts racing, we'll pick up. Hello? Hi Pip, it's Naomi. Hi, that's weird. I thought I saved your number in my phone. Oh, no, it's because I, I broke my phone. I'm using a temporary phone until it's fixed. Oh, yeah, I think I remember Kara telling me about that. What's up? I was at my friend's house when I heard about Barn. So sorry, Pip. I hope you're okay. Not yet. I'll get there soon. And I know you probably don't want to think about this right now, but I found out my friend's cousin studied English at Columbia. I thought maybe I could see if he um, could email you about the school and the interview and how to get in. Actually, yeah, that would be so helpful. Thank you. And they hang up. And the pair went back to the murder board. And it wasn't until the next day, Pip tried to find the number for the Ivy House Inn again, when she found the number that Naomi had called from. She's staring at it. And she rushes over to the agenda, the planner, the number that was crossed out on Andy's planner, it matched. The burner phone yeah. number? So what the does new that and Naomi was a strong suspect, whether Pip liked it or not. Because Naomi knew about the hit and run. Naomi had access to the phone numbers of Max, Millie, and Jake. Naomi had Pip's number. Naomi could have left Max's house while Millie slept and intercepted Andy. Naomi was the closest to Sal. Naomi knew where they were camping. The new printed note in her locker. She could go to Kara's house and see if Naomi was involved. So she rushes on over. And Naomi and Kara are carving pumpkins. And Pip is lured into carving a pumpkin and her heart is racing. She can barely main eye, maintain eye contact with Naomi, who's wielding a knife. Oh, um, thanks for calling me the other day, by the way. I got the email from your friend from Columbia. It was so helpful. Oh, good. No problem. So, uh, when's your phone getting fixed? Tomorrow, I think. Well, at least you had an old phone with an old SIM card that worked. Lucky. Yeah, Dad had a spare pay-as-you-go SIM lying around and a bonus $25 credit on it. What? Your dad's SIM card? Yeah. Kara found it in his desk at the bottom of his junk drawer. Pip wanted to throw up. Mr. Ward? Mr. Ward's SIM card, that was his number, scribbled out on Andy's planner, and Andy was calling him an asshole the week that she disappeared? You okay, Pip? Yeah, sorry, just hungry, I guess. I would offer you some food, but food has just been disappearing. Naomi, you swear to God you're not the one eating the food, because I went to the store with Dad the other day and we bought like 10 Butterfingers, and now they're all gone and I didn't eat any. How many did you eat? None. God, where the f*** are the Butterfingers going? What? Pip started to feel sick. She felt a vomit pool in the back of her throat. 
Kara, can I get your laptop? I feel like we need some spooky music to go with the pumpkin carving. Pip ran upstairs to get her laptop and slipped into Mr. Ward's study where she found the printer logged in and she printed the last document that was printed. It read, this is your final warning, Pippa, walk away. Now, now she wanted to throw up. The words left her. She felt numb, rage, terror, uh, betrayal coursing through every part of her body. Elliot Ward, Mr. Ward was the unknown killer, Sal's killer, Andy's killer, Barney's killer, all lies. The man that she saw as another father figure, he was nothing but a liar. So where's your dad now? Oh, I think he's, no, he's not tutoring because he only tutors Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. He's probably at like a school meeting. Oh, I just think it's so weird that he tutors, guys. It's not like you guys need the money. What, because our mom was richer than God before she died? I think he just likes it. I think he just likes being able to ramble about history all the time. Pip stiffened. She felt the need to leave. And it made sense because Mr. Ward didn't have an alibi for the night that Andy disappeared. One of his daughters was at Max's house and the other one was sleeping over at Pip's house. And he had no alibi for Tuesday when Sal died because he called in sick to work and he told that to Pip himself. Ravi is confused, but Sal loved Mr. Ward. I know. So is he the secret older man that Andy was seeing, the one that she met up with at Ivy House? Maybe, Andy spoke of ruining this person. Elliot was a teacher. He could have been in a lot of trouble if she told them, if she told anyone about them, which means he was the one that killed Barney too. It's him, Ravi, it's him. Okay, so how do we prove it? He tutors three times a week and I never really thought it was weird until recently. The wards don't need money. They don't worry about money. They've got life insurance from when Mrs. Ward died and they're pretty set for life. And he started tutoring five years ago in 2014. What if he's not tutoring three times a week? What if he, I don't know, goes to the place where he buried Andy, visiting her grave as some sort of penance? No way, not three times a week, it's too risky. Or follow me. What if he's visiting her? What if Andy's still alive and he's keeping her somewhere and he goes to see her three times a week? What? Oh my God, and Kara kept complaining that food was missing in their house. Food that she saw her dad buy, but it was gone. He has Andy and he's feeding her. Okay, you might be slightly jumping to conclusions here. Well, we have to find out where he goes. Tomorrow's Friday, a tutoring day. Well, what if he's actually tutoring? Well, what if he's not? How do we follow him? I'm gonna get into his car and drop my phone in. I'm gonna turn on Find My Friend and uh, I'm gonna act like I just left my phone in his car and we're gonna, we're gonna follow him. We're gonna GPS track him. So that's what she does. Okay, so he's, he's heading to North on Route 124. He's near New Cannon. That's weird, the wards used to live in New Cannon before they moved to a bigger house in Fairview. He's somewhere called Gravesend Road. Pip started Googling the road to get a street view because GPS tracking wasn't that good. They couldn't tell which side of the road he was on, so left or right, they knew either it was House 42 Gravesend Road or 44 Gravesend Road. Is that where he used to live? I don't know, I can find out tomorrow, I can ask Kara. The next day, Kara gave Pip her phone back and it was the perfect time to casually ask, hey, my mom's doing a showing on Gravesend Road in New Cannon, isn't that where you used to live? Oh yeah, that's funny. 44, was it? No, we were 42. Oh, does your dad still go there? No, he sold it ages ago. When we moved, they kept it first to get like a, I guess, an, a tenant. But um, after my mom got a huge inheritance from her grandma, they rented it, they just sold it. Oh, cool. There's no Zillow to, ch yeah. to check the history. Clearly, Elliot Ward has been telling lies for a while and Pip looked at Kara, really looked at her and pulled her in for a hug. What's that for? Nothing. All right, clingy, see you tomorrow. Pip didn't want to let her go. She felt the tears pooling in her eyes, but she had to. And she called Ravi in the car and said, hey, we're still meeting tomorrow to turn in the evidence, right? 
Okay, good. But instead, she hit the start on her navy, and the robotic voice said, starting route to 42nd Gravesend Road. She was going rogue. She parked in front of the house. She reached down and dialed 911. Hello, my name is Pippa Fitzamobi, and I'm from Fairview. Please listen carefully. You need to send officers to 42 Gravesend Road in New Cannon. Inside is a man named Elliot Ward. Five years ago, he kidnapped a girl named Andy Bell from Fairview, and he's been keeping her in this house. He murdered a boy named Sal Singh. You need to contact Detective Richard Hawkins, who led the case, and let him know that Andy is alive and being kept. I'm going to confront Elliot Ward now, and I might be in danger, so please send officers quickly. Why is she confronting him then? I don't know. If the police is coming. The police are like, where are you phoning from now? I'm outside the house and I'm about to go in. Okay, please stay outside. I'm dispatching officers. Can you please stay outside? I'm She's, sorry. I I'm have to I'm the main be. character. I'm the main character in a YA movie. Pippa, do not go inside the house. Pippa lowered the phone and hung up. She got out of the car and knocked on the door. Elliot Ward opened. He had oven mitts slung over his shoulder and he was startled. Pippa, what are you, what are you doing here? I was just, um, I'm just, don't try it. The police will be here soon. You have until then to explain to me so I can tell Kara and Naomi. So the Sings can finally know the truth. All the blood left Mr. Ward's face. He pressed his fingers into his eyes and blew out all the air. It's all over now. It's all over. Time's running out. Okay, well, come in. Fine, leave the front door open. She followed him, making sure to leave quite a bit of space between them. She's here, isn't she? Andy's here and she's alive? Yeah. Pippa knew the answer, but still, it felt like a shiver going down her back. You guys were seeing each other start at the beginning. It wasn't like that. Elliot, start at the beginning. It was late February. Andy started paying attention to me at school. I wasn't teaching her, but she would just follow me in the hall and ask me about my day and the attention. It felt nice, you know? I felt lonely. And then she asked for my phone number. Nothing. Nothing happened at all at this point. I swear to you, I told her it was inappropriate. And yet, I found myself going to the phone shop to buy another S sim card to talk to her without anyone finding out i don't know why i guess it was a nice distraction she was nice to me she she let me talk about how worried i was about the kids about the girls and how much i missed my wife you're running out of time and then andy suggested we meet somewhere outside of school like a hotel i told her absolutely not but in a moment of madness in a moment of weakness i found myself booking one we agreed on the time and date but i had to cancel last minute because kara had chicken pox I tried to end things, whatever it was that we had at this point, but she asked me again and I booked. The Ivy House Inn. That's where it happened the first time. We didn't stay the night, just a few hours. You slept with her. She was 17, the same age as your daughter. You were a teacher. Andy was vulnerable and you took advantage of that and you should have known better. There's nothing you can say to make me more disgusted with myself than I already am. I'm, I said it couldn't happen again. I even tried to call it off with Andy. She started threatening to ruin me. She would come interrupt my lessons and whisper that I would find a picture of her naked hidden in the class somewhere and that I should find it before someone else does, trying to scare me. So I went back that week to see her and I thought she would get sick of me soon, you know, I'm just an old man. That was the time it happened, the second time. And then it was spring break and the girls and I spent a week at Isabel's parents' house and with time away from Fairview, I came to my senses. I told her I didn't care if she turned me in, it was over for good. And then I found out about the video that she leaked. And I told her, I'm going, to the I'm going to the principal with it, unless you stop. And I thought we were at a stalemate. So why did you kidnap her? That's not... It didn't happen like that. I was home alone that night when Andy showed up, irritated and angry, and she was screaming at me, telling me I was sad and disgusting, and she only touched me because she wanted me to get her into Yale so she could be with Sal. I tried to calm her down, but she knew how to hurt me. She started tearing up Isabel's paintings, the ones that meant so much to me. 
I just tried to stop her and I pushed her and she hit her head on my desk hard and she was on the floor, head bleeding. She was conscious but confused. I rushed to get the first aid kit and when I came back, she was gone and the front door was open and I don't know where she went. Her phone was on the floor of my study. She must have dropped it while in a rush. The next day I heard she was missing and she had left my house with a head injury. So I started panicking, thinking I must have killed her, that I must have got, she must have gotten confused and hurt and wandered and died from her injuries. And when they found her body, which they would, she would have something on her body that would lead them back to me. Fibers, something. And I needed to give them a stronger suspect to stop looking. So you frame Sal Singh. How did you know about the hit and run? I read it in Naomi's diary. So you made her and her friends take away Sal's alibi. And then on Tuesday, I called in sick, dropped off the girls, and outside in the parking lot, I saw Sal. I suggest we go back to his house to chat, and I planned on using a knife in his house, but in the bathroom, I saw his father's sleeping pills. I made us a cup of tea, gave him some there. I said, we'll go look for Andy in the woods, and when we got to the woods, I pulled out a knife, put it to his throat, and made him swallow the rest. I held him in my arms while he was losing consciousness. I talked to him about Yale and the amazing libraries and how beautiful the campus is during spring. He had something good to think about. I thought it was kinder that his family wouldn't find him at home. I put the bag around his head and I held his hand while he died. And then you texted his dad and you placed some of Andy's dried blood under his nails with tweezers and you left Andy's phone in his pocket. I didn't want to kill him. I was just trying to save my girls. He didn't deserve it, but neither did my girls. It was an impossible choice. And then more days passed and I realized what a huge mistake I had made. If Andy had died somewhere from her head injury, they would have found her by now. And then the car turns up and they find blood in the trunk. She must have been well enough to drive somewhere after leaving my house. And I panicked. I thought it was fatal, but it wasn't. But it was too late. Sal already died. I made him a killer. They closed the case and everything calmed down. Then, end of July, I was driving home and I saw her. On the side of the road, I pulled over, and it was clear she was heavily into drugs now. She'd been sleeping rough. She was so skinny and disoriented. That's how it happened, I couldn't let her go. Because if she went back home, then everyone would know that Sal had been murdered and Andy was, hi, disoriented, and I explained to her why I couldn't let her go home and I told her I would take care of her forever and I had a place that I, I had just put up for sale, but I took it off the market and brought her here. What? He's saying that she just saw her on the side of the yeah. street? So that makes zero yeah. sense. She's been here all this time, does she remember what happened that night? She doesn't remember all the details, she said that she just wanted to get away from everything. Where is she? In the attic, you know, we made it nice up there. I insulated it, put in proper flooring. There's no windows, but we brought up a ton of lamps. And I know you think I'm a monster, but I've never touched her. Not since the last time at Ivy House. It's not like that. She's not like she was before. She's different. She's grateful. I come over here to cook for her three times a week. And once on the weekend, and I let her down to shower, and we sit together and watch TV. She's locked up there, and that's the key. When the police come, don't tell them about the hit and run. Don't tell them about taking Sal's alibi away. He doesn't need one when you confess. And Kara doesn't deserve to lose Naomi as well. I'm sorry. You threatened my whole family. You killed Sal. You killed Barney. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't. And the police storm in. And they arrest Mr. Ward. And Pip rushes into the attic against the police's screams. And she's face to face with a young blonde girl sitting in front of a TV. She's a little bit older, heavier than Andy. Her eyes are wild, hair wild, her skin pale. Hi, I'm Pip. Hi, I'm Andy. But she wasn't. It wasn't Andy. What in the world? Pip quietly responded, you're not Andy. And the police ran up the ladder and the whole world burst into chaos. Kara was blowing up Pip's phone, so was Ravi. Ravi and Pip drive off and going back into Fairview, they stop by a car that's parked on the side of the road and it was like in slow motion. They drive past and they look and Jason is the driver. 
Jason Bell, the dad. His face is red, tears are trailing down his face and he seemed angry. Dawn Bell is crying, her whole body shaking as she's trying to breathe. Her mouth is screaming in agony. Becca Bell is in the back. Her face is pale, lips parted and brows furrowed. Andy's family, it seems like they just found out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And as they passed, Becca's eyes snapped to life and landed on Pip and there was a moment where they looked at each other. You think they just found out? Looks like it. The girl kept saying her name was Andy Bell. Maybe they have to go formally identify that she wasn't. The next day, when news broke that Sal had been murdered, Ravi brought his parents over to Pip's house so that they could all meet. It was an emotional moment. They decided that they would finally go to the local carnival this year. I think we should go. It'll be the first time, you know? Things are different. This is the start of being different. Yeah, Mom, let's go. I'd like to go. You can never see the fireworks from our house anyway. And the two families decide to meet at the carnival by the drinks. And Pip's heart was so filled with love, but also dread. And Ravi noticed. You're being quiet. What's going on? I can't pretend it's over when it's not. Pip, listen. You've done what you set out to do. We know Sal is innocent by what happened to him, but... But we don't know what happened to Andy. It's not your job anymore. The police have reopened the case. Let them do the rest. Yeah, I know. Anyway, I'll see you at the carnival. But you know that's not how things go. Pip couldn't, le couldn't leave it alone. Andy left the ward's house with a potentially serious head injury, and he said it was around 10-ish, which means she would have gone home afterwards because Becca said that she saw her after 10. But you're saying she went home with a head injury and then left and no one told the police about it? Pip remembered Elliot Ward's face when she accused him, rightfully so, of murdering her dog, and he looked confused. Pip swore she dug out all the threatening letters and texts, and some of them were normal. Pippa, you need to go. You need to let go of this. Pippa. You need to, this is your final warning, Pippa. The other ones, they called her a stupid bitch and made her destroy her things and killed her dog. Maybe it was being sent by two different people. The truth was, somewhere Pip knew, the truth was out there. It was in people's faces because Pip could see it in Elliot's face when she accused him of killing her dog. Pip picked up the family photo of the bells and stared at it. And then all the pieces dropped. Who could have access to the burner phone? One of the bells. The killer was the last person to see Andy alive. It was... Oh my God. She got out her phone and called Max Hastings. Can I ask you a question? Not interested. I can still go to the police about the hit and run. You wouldn't, not because of Naomi. I would. Naomi's life is already destroyed. I don't know what's stopping me anymore. Might as well destroy yours too. What do you want? Max, at a calamity party in March 2014, did you drug and rape Becca Bell? What? No, the fuck? Max, do not lie to me or else I'll ruin you. Did you put roofies in her drink and assault her? Yeah, but it wasn't like rape. She didn't say no. Because you drugged her. You have no idea what you've done. It was Becca. Pip could see her face in the car. The rest of the family, they looked shocked. Becca looked more dreading. Maybe she knew. Maybe Becca knew nobody would find Andy. The car jerked as Pip pulled into the darkened street. She found herself knocking on the Bell's front door instead of enjoying popcorn at the carnival with her family and Ravi. It was supposed to be a happy moment, but no, she couldn't let it go. Hi, Pippa. Sorry, I wanted to come in and see if you were okay. I saw you in the car. Yeah, the detective told us that you were the one that found out about Mr. Ward. What he did. I'm so sorry. Do you want to come in? I'm making some tea. How are your parents? Not great. After we found out it wasn't Andy, Mom booked herself into an emotional trauma rehab and Dad wants to sue everyone. Do they know who the girl is? Yeah, they called my dad this morning. She's on a missing persons register. Isla Jordan, 23. They said she has a learning disability. She came from an abusive home and had a history of running away. Pip felt nervous. She downed her tea. She did look like Andy. I thought it was Andy for a few seconds. I wish that it was Andy. But when I saw you driving past in the car, your face wasn't like theirs, Becca. 
You didn't look like your parents. You looked scared. You knew for sure it couldn't be your sister because you killed your sister, didn't you? Silence. In March 2014, you went to a calamity party with your friend Jess Walker, and while you were there, something happened to you. You don't remember. Jess thought you were just embarrassed, but you don't remember what happened. You don't remember with who someone roofied you, then they assaulted you. Becca sat still. I can't imagine how lonely and terrible it must have been for you for not being able to remember, but also knowing that something terrible happened, you must have felt like no one could help you, and you did nothing wrong. You had nothing to be ashamed of. I think you realized someone drugged you, so you started digging. You wanted to know who was buying and selling drugs at the parties. And you found out the drugs were from your own sister, Becca. So what happened the night of April 18th? I found out. They bought drugs from her, and I went to her room and I found her burner phone. I looked through all the contacts and I found someone that bought roofies from her that night. Max. And I thought, I thought, you know, when I... When I tell her that night, she would let me cry on her shoulder. She would tell me that she was sorry, that, that we were going to make this right. She would help me make him pay. All I wanted was my big sister and the freedom of telling someone what happened to me. But she came home, and when I told her, she looked at me and she said she didn't care. She just said I wasn't allowed to tell anyone or else she would get in trouble. She tried to leave, leave me alone, and I tried to block her. And she said that I should be grateful that someone actually wanted me because I was just the fat, ugly version of her. And she tried to push me out the way. And I, I couldn't believe how she was being. I was just upset. I pushed her back and she hit the floor and her eyes were closed and she started throwing up. Her mouth was filling with her up so fast and she was choking on it and I froze. I don't know why. I was just so angry. When I look back now, I don't know whether or not I made any decision. I don't remember making a decision or doing anything. I just didn't move. I must have known that she was dying and I just stood there and did nothing. And when I realized what was going on, I tried to clear her mouth and there was, she was already dead. You don't get it. I wanted to take it back. I wanted to take it back every day since, but it was too late. Only then did I see the blood in her hair, and I thought I must have hurt her. I thought that I didn't know. I didn't know, okay? I didn't know until two days ago that she had another head injury from Mr. Ward. That must have been why she lost consciousness. I swear I didn't push her that hard. But it doesn't matter, because I was the one to let her choke to death. I watched her die and I did nothing. And because I thought that it was me that hurt her and there were scratches on her arms from me, signs of a struggle, even my parents would think that I killed her. They loved Andy more than they loved me and I know it. So you threw her body in the trunk of her car. I cleaned everything up. I watched enough crime shows. I dragged her into the car. And it was you and the security camera in her car driving away from the house, not Andy. Where did you bury her? The old farmhouse on Sycamore Road that I don't want anyone to buy because Andy's in the septic tank. Then I dumped her car and walked home. I left her car where her dealer's house was and I thought the police would make the connection and he would be the main suspect. Well, what did you think when Sal was guilty and it was all over? I don't know, I thought it was some sort of sign that I was forgiven, even though I could never forgive myself. And then five years later, I start investigating and you start threatening me. You must have thought that I was so close to figuring it out it was you. So you killed my dog and made me destroy my research. You didn't stop. I'm sorry. I didn't mean for your dog to die. I really did. I let him go. And it was dark. He must have gotten confused and fallen into the river. Well, I loved him so much and it didn't matter. But I want to forgive you, Becca. That's why I came here. If I've worked this all out, the police won't be far. And it's not right what you did to Andy, but I know you know that. It's just not fair. You didn't ask for this and I came to warn you. You need to leave. Get out of the country and find a life somewhere else because they're coming. Pip looked at a quiet Becca waiting for a reaction, but there was none. And then the room started to spin. She tried to talk, but the words wouldn't come out. Did you put something in my drink? There were a few of Max's pills left in Andy's hiding place. I kept them. Pip knew she should panic, but the room started spinning and she tried to stumble up. 
Becca was getting closer and closer. She tried to focus, but the door seemed so far, so she grabbed a stool and threw it at Becca. And Becca said, look, I'm sorry, there's no evidence. There's just you and only what you know. I don't want to do this to you, but why couldn't you leave it alone? Pip screamed and ran out the front door. Her ears were ringing. It was so dark. Everything was spinning. She couldn't see. She ran outside the house and tried to run as fast and far as possible. But in the woods, she saw a pair of eyes staring straight at her. Becca. Becca pushed her down, and the two of them were wrestling on the tree-lined forest floor. I was trying to help you. It didn't matter, because now Becca was on top of her, strangling her. Please, Becca, please. Pip felt the air being sucked out of her, and she could feel her fate. She was going to a dark place with the bones of Andy Bell, and she would be gone too. Her arms and legs were going numb, and she knew that her head would be next. Becca was crying now. I wish someone like you had been there for me. All I had was Andy. She was my only escape from my dad and my only hope after Max, and she didn't care. Maybe she never did care, and now I'm stuck, and there's no way out, and I don't want to do this. Pip felt her throat was on fire, and Becca continued to strangle her, and eyes feel like they were on fire, and they were about to pop out. And just as close as she was to losing consciousness, she felt air sweep back into her lungs. She heard her dad's voice. You're okay, Pickle. You're okay. Then Ravi leaned down. Breathe. We're here now. Breathe. She let Andy die, but we have to let her go. It's not fair. It's not fair. Andy is in the septic tank farmhouse. Sycamore. Farmhouse. It's okay. It's okay. It's all over. We got you. How did you find me? Find my friends. As soon as I saw you here, I knew. And it's okay. I got you, Pip. And the world faded out as police sirens roared behind her. And the book ends with Elliot Ward being charged with murder and kidnapping of Isla Jordan. Becca Bell faces charges of negligent homicide, illegal disposal of a dead body, and tampering with evidence. Max Hastings with assault and two counts of rape. Howie uh, Bowers with possession and intent to sell. So everybody got there. Yeah. Got justice. And Pip got into Columbia, her dream school. Her still being friends with Kara and Naomi. And she was giving a speech on how she solved two murders. And as much as she wanted to take credit for it, she knew someone else who needed it more. Someone who wanted to be a lawyer for so long. And maybe now they could be. So during her speech, she called Ravi Singh to the stage. And she said, if anyone should speak about how kind Sal Singh was, now that you're all finally listening, it should be his brother. And everyone applauded. And Ravi took the stage and he told about how nice his brother was, how kind, the best brother that he could have ever wished for. And now this time, everyone's going to believe him. And while they're giving their speech, Pip and Ravi's hands reach for each other, fitting perfectly, almost as if they'd grown to fit together. So they're dating now. The end. <laughs> <laughs> He's not into this right now. He's, what do you have to say? You look like you got a lot to say, bro. I don't know. It's just like after years of listening to like real true crime cases, this one's almost like a detective on crack. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, even a real case, I've never heard 10% of the detective work yeah. done this perfectly. This one, she's just like solving puzzles left and right. Yeah. It's like boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess it, I was um, more into it the first half. And then as she's like, starts solving it more and more and more, I'm like, oh my gosh. It's almost too satisfying. Me too. I think it was too satisfying and it was too chronological. Yes, yes. So it was like, here's a problem and then she would solve it in the next chapter. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, another exactly. question would be asked and she would solve it in the next chapter. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I'm just like starting to think the realistic of everything. <laughs> yeah, you know? but it is a YA book, you I know. Understand. So I do, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. different but story. But the fact that I, every time she does an action, I'm like, how? How yeah. did you just sneak into someone else and print out something and yeah. then just match it? Like it's just too easy. Yeah, everything was very much like things I tried to do when I was in high school. Yeah, like I'm gonna stalk them by putting. Okay, I wasn't stalking people in high school, I swear. But you know, it's like the vibe. Like yeah. I'm gonna put my phone and then we're gonna do find my iPhone. Yeah, you know it's what I mean? cute though. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a cute story. It's a very cozy read. So the reason that I'm really excited to listen to the rest of the two books is because I feel like it's like your Christmas cozy mystery. It's not like this intense, you're gonna sit there and be enveloped in this world and you're gonna be hunched over like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out from this book. Like I'm getting anxiety and indigestion, but it's like fireplaces on. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that kind of vibe. And then you smell the food and you're like, mm, this is the life, I'm just reading a book. It's also a really good travel book. Sometimes I'd be listening to like way too intense books on a plane, like really intense thrillers, and I'm like sitting there sweating. Oh my god, oh my god. It's like in my brain. It's like coming in this year, this year, and it's like in my brain, and I gotta stop before. Do people think I'm suspicious? Why does everybody look so suspicious? I'm looking around like, that guy's not really sleeping, is he? Oh, that's my fiance. That's weird. <laughs> so uh, make sure to check it out. Linked in the description. And make sure to check out Audible. And I will see you guys tomorrow. Bye.